Beyond the News with Brian Lilly. Join the resistance on Facebook and Twitter at CFRA Ottawa. Happy long weekend, everybody. The unofficial start of summer. Maybe you heard that Bill Carroll was outside this morning. Maybe you heard that I'll be there, but apparently I'm inside. I don't get to take class outside today, miss. That's okay. I'm a pasty redhead that'll just burn in the sun anyway. Let's face facts, folks. There's not enough sunscreen in the world to protect me from the sun's rays. Just like there's not enough liberals in the world to protect Justin Trudeau from the outrage that you were all feeling yesterday. I want to go back to that a little bit. And I'll welcome your calls on it again. His full apology, the government removing Motion 6. But I said yesterday that this is part of a a pattern. I was focusing on his legislative pattern. I was focusing on the fact that they don't want any debate, that they were trying to shut down the ability of the opposition to have a say in shaping legislation, that they were trying to act like the dictators they accused other parties of being in the past, that they were doing the exact opposite of what they promised the Canadian people. But then I was thinking later on about Justin Trudeau's behavior, whether it be in the House of Commons or his comments about how he will react if he doesn't get his way, or how he treats the media, at least media that ask him tough questions and media that don't fawn over him. And then I remember back to uh, a few years ago now, Peter Kent was the Minister of the Environment. There had been a big conference, and Kent was asked a question by the New Democrats. And he stood up and tried to answer it. And if you remember, Justin Trudeau called him a piece of excrement in the House. Listen. Well, Mr. Speaker, uh, my honorable colleague, if she had been in Durban, would have seen that, in fact, uh, Canada was among the leaders in uh, creating the order. Order. There is that respect for Parliament again, isn't it? Respect for Parliament. See, Justin Trudeau claimed that Stephen Harper didn't have respect for Parliament, but I never remember Stephen Harper calling people a piece of excrement. I have never seen Stephen Harper stick his tongue out at opposition members during question period. Some, that, Justin Trudeau actually sticks his tongue out like he's blowing raspberries at opposition members. You're not a backbencher. You're the freaking prime minister. You're not a young man like all of your media uh, idolaters say. You're a middle-aged 44-year-old dude. Start acting like it. Grow up a little. But yesterday, as they were debating the whole thing about his apology, his third apology on the issue, opposition MPs pointed this out. But you notice he had to give three apologies because the first two were... Not really apologies. He, he did that, well, I'm sorry if I offended anyone, but, you know, it's their fault. They started it. Sounded like my kids when they were five. Which is kind of how he reacted when he called Peter Kent a piece of in the commons and then was called upon to 
apologize. Let, let's go in Mr. Peabody's Wayback Machine one more time and listen to his apology back then for insulting Kent. I see the Honourable Member for Papineau rising, and I think I'll recognize him first. Thank you, Mr. Speaker. Uh, during question period, the Minister of the Environment uh, chided the Member of uh, Parliament from Halifax for not having attended the conference in Durban after he uh, prevented any member of the opposition from attending in Durban. Therefore, I lost my temper and used language that was most decidedly unparliamentary, and for that I unreservedly apologize, Mr. Speaker, and withdraw my remarks. The devil made me do it. The devil made me do it. It's not my fault. That was that. That's what that apology was. I'm not old enough to actually remember Flip Wilson doing uh, The Devil Made Me Do It on TV, but I've seen the clips, and I've definitely seen my children use that kind of language. Well, yeah, I'm sorry, but they made me. And that's what Justin Trudeau did twice on Wednesday. It was only once he was scripted, once he could have his best drama teacher voice, his soothing tones, talking about respect, that he sounded like he might be sorry. But when he was actually on his feet, having to think, like I do here for four hours each and every day, he couldn't do it. There was no adult supervision of him. No one forcing him. Nobody saying, hey, what you did makes us all look really bad. Go fix it. So I do take his apology with a big bag of salt, and I think you should too. But I will say this. There was a victory just after I got off the air yesterday. The government backed down on Motion 6. They withdrew Motion 6, and they announced that in question period under pressure from Ron Ambrose and the Conservatives as well as Tom Mulcair and the New Democrats. What's Motion 6? This is the motion that, if passed, would have changed the rules of the House of Commons to take away all kinds of tools for the opposition parties to have a say. It was another attempt by Justin Trudeau to act in a dictatorial fashion, to act as a petulant child and say, you will move faster to push through my legislative agenda, which is exactly what he was saying when he stood up and stormed across to grab Gord Brown by the arm and drag him to a seat after a whole 46-second delay. Poor Muffin, you had to wait 46 seconds. Poor, poor Muffin. Hmm. What are your thoughts on this? 521-TALK, 521-8255. We left people hanging on the line yesterday. If you want to have your say on it, you can call in now, or you can email me, news at cfra.com. But... Let's have a conversation about this. I will also throw out another topic here. Mike Duffy as scapegoat. Mike Duffy had his name dragged through the mud. He faced 31 criminal charges. He had to empty his bank account, I am sure, in order to pay for the legal services of Donald Bain. And then he was acquitted. Now we've got Pamela Wallen. Charges dropped yesterday. Mac Harb, charges dropped today. Did they see the writing on the wall? Did they just decide it's not worth it? Or 
do you think that this was really a case of, well, we got what we wanted, Harper's out. I think there's a little bit of that going on here. I'm not going to say that's the job of the Crown prosecutors, but I will say that's the attitude of far too many people. At least Harper's gone. Duffy served that purpose. I'm sure at this point Mike Duffy wants Harper gone as well. I'm sure he's very happy with that, and I'm sure there's no love lost between those two men. But what are your thoughts on Wallen and Harb having their charges dropped after Duffy went through 31 charges after a long legal ordeal? What are your thoughts? 521-TALK, 521-8255, star 580 on Bell Mobility or beyond the news at CFRA.com. Beyond the News with Brian Lilly on News Talk 580 CFRA. Had a few emails asking where uh, Rob and Lowell are. Rob will be back end of the month. Lowell, he's just away for a week sunning his bun somewhere. Lowell and a Speedo on a beach. That's what we're all thinking about, huh? Uh, Ian writes in uh, about uh, yesterday saying that uh, news reports were saying Trudeau collided with the NDP MP. Collided? Really? So that's how it's going to be spun now? Well, some people were spinning it as an alleged manhandling. So there's that. Uh, Let's see. A couple of other emails quickly and then to the phone calls. Um, No, that one's not for me. Sometimes people just email me random stuff. Renee writes in about Mac Harb. Mac Harb is off the hook. He won't be prosecuted. Doesn't mean he's not guilty, just that the likelihood of a guilty verdict is doubtful because the rules on how much senators can help themselves to our money are too fuzzy. Now either the people making the rules are incompetent or the senators are not bright enough to understand them. Now the rules are pretty loose, loose enough for someone to buy a cottage 103 kilometers from Parliament and then claim that as their primary residence even though they had never, ever lived up that way and had been an Ottawa Centre kind of guy since they moved to Canada. Hmm, funny that. Let's go to the phones. Ralph in Ottawa calling in about the uh, the fracas in the commons. Yeah, I mean, it, it's a good thing in a way because it shows like the legislation that's too tough for, uh, and and the incident is we, we do have a long-term decline in how governments respect people that has been going on for for. For since the uh, since probably late fifties, and so this is just part of it, where where people are being treated like dirt. Taxes go up, everything's cut back, and so these incidences actually are a good things. It shows that that there's no respect by the powerful in in, in for the people anymore. Well, there's no, no respect from the prime minister for parliament. I think he feigned it yesterday, but I think his track record shows otherwise. Um, Look, let me give you other examples of him not having respect for the little people. He uh, he had said that if the people of Canada had voted for Stephen Harper, he would, uh, you know, if it keeps going that way, that he would vote for Quebec separation. He said that in an interview. He he would rather live in a separate Quebec than a, a Canada governed by Stephen Harper. He didn't like questions from some media, so he started banning the old Sun News. And then a CBC reporter actually asked him a tough question, a guy who is 
always fair and a straight shooter, asked Justin Trudeau a tough question. He turned around and said, well, you're obviously from Sun News. So, no, he wasn't. So th- this man does not have respect for the little people. He does not have respect for uh, the, um, the House of Commons. Well, I, I think he's just one of a big, uh, he's just one of a, a 10 soldier that are all the same. They could be in business. They could be in everywhere. Like the Canadian people are seeing their lives go, go worse gradually. And it's really the nation's leaders are far more than a prime minister. He, he does what other lobbyists put into you. All right. and this is, he's not, uh, you know, leaders is alone, even in, in a dictatorship and, People put out, put ideas in the put the, the lobbying of politicians, and so we keep getting worse and worse lifestyle. Thanks for the call, Ralph. There's the living. Let's go to Manny in Ottawa. Manny, you're on Beyond the News. Good morning, Brian. How are you? Perfectly adequate today. All right. Um, you forget one very important thing that Justin did that I think tops everything that he's done in Parliament and everything else, and that is when he unilaterally booted out all the senators from caucus. And why I believe that's extremely important, the Liberal Party of Canada has a constitution. And in that constitution... Oh, constitution, constitution, <laughs> Manny. No, but don't, no, but... don't get in the way of the great Trudeau. I mean, no, but, you saw no, but... what will happen. Do, do these old senators, some of them are old, they're frail. Do they want to be manhandled like Gord Brown? No, but here's the point. No, but the point is, is that these senators were constitutionally entitled to be part of the Liberal Party, and the convention was only weeks away, and Justin couldn't wait to remove that provision from the Constitution and did it unilaterally breaching his own party's Constitution. And my point is, if you can do that as a dictator to your own party, our Constitution, our Parliament doesn't stand a chance. Uh, he uh, he didn't have consultations. He didn't even, as far as I understand, talk to his own MPs in no, the caucus. No. He made that decision on his own, well, with, with Jerry, uh, up in the office, and then came down and, and announced it. It was like Moses in the Ten Commandments being handed in, down. In direct violation of the Constitution of the Liberal Party, and not one liberal was offended that he breached his own constitution. And that's where I think the big problems lie. And our constitution doesn't stand a chance. Uh, Manny, as I've been saying for a long time, liberals don't actually care about the constitution. They love the charter when it suits them, uh, but they don't like the constitution. That's why you've got all these issues of past liberal governments helping foment Quebec separatism by invading provincial jurisdiction and then threatening to use either uh, government spending power or the courts to force their way. And that causes a lot of problems. The Constitution's clear on many issues that the federal government has no business being in them. But you get a liberal government, they want central state power, and they want these national programs that are provincial jurisdiction. That's in violation of the Constitution. They never, ever care. Right on. Thank you. Thanks for the call. I'm Brian Lilly. This is Beyond the News. Back with more of your calls, your emails in moments. 521 Talk if you want to join the conversation. 521-8255. 
You're listening to the leader of the unofficial opposition, the rebel himself. Beyond the News with Brian Lilly on News Talk 580 CFRA. John writes in about the liberal zero tolerance policy. He says two years ago, liberal leader Trudeau ended the careers of two liberal MPs for unparliamentary behavior. These two MPs did not receive a committee hearing nor a chance to offer apologies to the House. The behavior of PM Trudeau this week was at least as unparliamentary as the unvetted behaviors of the two terminated MPs. It's my opinion that the same Liberal Party rules that the two MPs were judged under should equally apply to PM Trudeau. Ah, Here's the problem, John, and it's the problem that Manny raised in the call just a little while ago. Trudeau is the one that makes up the rules. There's no Liberal Party rules per se. They're Trudeau rules, just like he threw out the Constitution of the Liberal Party to eject the senators. He made up the rules to eject those two Liberal MPs. And not much came of that, did it? Michelle, in Hull, you're on Beyond the News. Uh, Good morning, Brian. Hello. Uh, Yeah, I've been watching the uh, video nonstop, and uh, I think for you to say that... uh he dragged the whip away. I think it's a little overreacting. I think you're you're overstating it. You you t- uh, you tell me what happened. Well, you clearly see that the NDP are playing a game. Okay, that all the, cares on one that, side. That that that, that, side. that does not matter a yeah, Wait wait wait. Let me let me let me finish talking. Uh, now they're playing a game. They're no, I'm going to come over there. Moving. I'm going to come over there and drag you around because you're not doing well, what I want. He didn't drag him around. He just gently. Uh, held him by the arm, and then they opened, and he came through. There's no dragging involved, and in fact, the woman that said that she was uh, she was hit, uh, like you know, hurt beyond belief, uh, she's the one that pressed up against him, and because they were trying to 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 group he, him around again, he inserted himself into something he had no business doing. He uh, grabbed he, he grabbed you. he grabbed coworkers. Against their will, he... Oh, it, oh, my God. You are the first one to say that that is nonsense when it's somebody else. Really? Your hatred of, your hatred of the liberals is making you so biased, it's insane. Really? Because when Donald Trump's campaign manager did it, I denounced him, didn't I? Well, that's because oh, Donald, Trump but, is, uh, Donald Trump is a nut bar, and you know it. Oh, but, you know? but, but, if Donald that, Trump that, would be an upstanding, an upstanding citizen, somebody that's got a potential to win, and you would not have done that. But you know he's a oh, crazy, he's baloney, a crazy Michelle. Guy. You don't know anything about me, obviously. Oh well, I, I know I do know a lot about you. I've listened to you a lot. Yeah, well, I, I, I used to listen to you on Sun, and I know what kind of guy. Sometimes you're fair, but most of the times, if it's about liberals, you are completely unfair. So now, let me so tell you, uh, I'm, under I'm a what, very under what, conservative. under I'm what circumstances, and I believe you. Not at all. But let me ask oh, you, under absolutely. what circumstances... I'm a conservative, but I'm a Canadian first. Under, and I well, believe in, then, I believe as in a Canadian, what, under what circumstances is it okay to grab co-workers Didn't against grab, their... Oh, baloney, Michelle. Open your him, eyes. Extended his arm. Extended his, extended his, hand, his arm. And just gently cupped his arm. There's no grabbing. There's no it, tugging. You're exaggerating to make the, the point I, that you I, I'm, liberal. Ex- I'm exaggerating. The liberal yeah. speaker of the House called it manhandling. The liberal speaker of the House. Well, the liberal speaker of the House had no choice. He has to follow the politically correct situation that we live in today. Political you correctness, know, you do not grab your that. co-workers in the you House of Commons. I can't believe people. You, you, we can debate whether you know they're, they're 
overreacting about uh, Ruth Ellen Brasso. And some people are claiming she's laughing. That's a load of baloney as well. She was not laughing. But sitting there saying that this is acceptable, saying there was nothing wrong with it, they were delaying his agenda, oh, so he gets to throw a temper tantrum? Give me a break, people. And if Stephen Harper did this, you're darn right I would be denouncing him. I would be saying this was unparliamentary behavior, and Michelle would be calling up and saying he should resign. We should have recall legislation. We should get rid of them. It's unbelievable. Let's go to Guy in Carp. Guy, you're on Beyond the News. Good morning, Brian. Mm-hmm. Uh, second uh, uh, whining, complaining conservative male here. I'd be curious to know what your thoughts are. Should it happen that uh, Mr. Gord Brown, the opposition whip, if he had turned around and uh, drove Justy right in the mouth? I wonder what the... Uh, I, I would have called to, for him to be ejected. Well, here we go. What What's going to happen when uh, Butterfly Boy gets on the stage with uh, Vladimir Putin or that deranged individual Donald Trump, which is a very real reality now? Uh, I sincerely believe that he would not touch one of those individuals. He would, in all probability, speak uh, quite uh, emphatically towards them, but I would sincerely doubt that he would come anywhere within three feet of them and touch them. Yeah. That's assault. You don't even have to touch someone to be charged with assault. Uh, well, I, I read out on the air yesterday the definition of assault passed by our own parliament, and it qualifies. Do it I does. think? Do I think there should be charges? No, I do. You you do? I, yes, I, I, I do. Well, that would shake, that, that would be up fist. that would be up to Gord Brown. You you take your fist and shake it in somebody's face, and you will get charged with assault. You do not even have to touch them. Ask me how I know this. At the end of the day, uh, petulant, uh, a spoiled brat of a child, the boy that would be king, was very disenchanted with the speed at which Mr. Brown was moving, and somehow he felt that someone had died and made him in charge. And he's not in charge. He's one voice, one vote in Parliament. Yes, he's a, he is the leader of the Liberal, but got that. He is the Prime Minister, got that. But very, very bad behavior on his part. The uh, second time he's used profanity in, in Parliament. And uh, Yeah, yeah. I, that, you know, M- Michelle, his defender-in-chief, uh, well, also, for, also forgets that. He walked back down after hitting... Madame Brosseau, after grabbing Gord Brown, and yes, he grabbed him, as Ian points out in an email, and many have reported, Gord Brown said, don't touch me. Right. Let go of me. As and soon then he as confronted Malcare. He confronted him. I mean, like... Well, he uh, went back down and started yelling and, and cursing at MPs, right. including women. And, right. you know, he's a feminist. We're not supposed yeah. to do this. This is 2016, after Well, all, exactly. You know. Thanks for yeah. the call, guy. Yeah, bye-bye. Uh, Alex in Canada. Alex, you're on Beyond the News. Yeah, Brian. I can't believe they dropped the charges against uh, Senator, uh, retired Senator uh, Muhammad uh, Harp. I can't believe it. So His name's Matt they, Harp. No, no, Brian. His name is Muhammad Harp. And he he does, he does chooses Mac uh, Esper. So that's fine. But whatever. Um but so they drag Mike Duffy through all this crap and he comes out clean because he, ha- he hasn't done anything wrong. He hasn't lied. He hasn't, you know, misrepresented anything. But yet, Mac Harp, who, who intentionally lied on his claims, um, and there's tremendous reports, National Post, all over the place, 
and the crown, in their infinite wisdom, magically decides to drop the charges. Unreal. The day Unreal. after they drop, I can't, I can't the, believe this. the day after they dropped the charges against um, uh, against uh, Pamela Wallen as well. Right. Exactly. I, I I'm not familiar. Um, I I did not dig into the uh, the file of Pamela, so I can't. I'm not going to speak to something that I haven't read enough about. Um, but I was going to. Um, but for Mac Harp's file, it's just shocking, shocking. All right. Thanks for the call, Alex. Let's go to uh, Anne in Canada. If you have a thought on what we're talking about, it's five two one talk five two one eight two five five or star five eighty on Bell Mobility. Anne, you're on uh, Beyond the News. Hi, is this me? Oh, sorry. Is, 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 is it not, me? Uh, no, I'm not in Canada. I'm in Ottawa. That's why. Oh. Um, I'm in, actually in Ottawa South. Uh, David McGinty's riding, unfortunately. Um, you know what? I cannot believe liberal apologists for this guy. I'm sorry. Keep your eye on the ball. That is the prime minister. He's not the bouncer of the House of Commons. It was not his place to do that, and he acted very pugnaciously and aggressively, and it shows. If you look at the video, I don't even know how you can defend that. I mean, and obviously, you never saw Harper pull anything like this. His behavior in the House of Commons was always dignified and respectful. He wasn't happy sometimes, you could tell, but he he didn't start going clobbering people, except by retorts maybe you know but i mean this is ridiculous like this is the mentality of the people who support them and it's really well, frightening to listen to it here's the thing and uh conservatives will criticize conservatives liberals will not criticize liberals it's true and it there are some things that are indefensible and I, I criticize conservatives on a regular basis. I've mm-hmm. I've criticized the ones that want to divide the party into little tiny fiefdoms. I've criticized those that want to spend too much. Uh, in a little while, I'll be criticizing. I'm going to read off um, part of a column on the meeting between different conservative groups and conservative pundits and Facebook. And some of them are asking for the same types of things that we normally rail against, like quotas. Well, that's wrong. We'll criticize that. I criticize conservatives when they're not conservative enough. You would think liberals would criticize liberals when they don't act like how liberals claim they don't, they should act. Well, it's and, like, gra- and grabbing another I MP know, and inadvertently or not hitting a woman while doing that and then turning around and cursing at them to get the F out of my way. I mean, he's, I mean, he's admitted it. He's apologized for it. And you've still got people defending him. It's embarrassing. It I, I don't happen. I know. It's just, it's crazy that anyone can defend that. It's terrible. And if Harper had ever behaved that way, I, I, the only time he ever got came close for me was when he went up to Putin and told him, you have to get out of the Ukraine. I thought that was a little bit sassy from Harper. but I love that, and I think most Canadians <laughs> did. Well, but that, I... that, That's telling off a bully yeah, yeah. on the international stage. But, I mean, Harper never walked across a house and started pushing people like i mean this guy's showing his true colors he's a little mini dictator who he likes everything his own way and he he acted like a big baby and uh, like i just hope he shows more of this and i hope the media starts being a little more honest about it because most of them are still protecting him all right and thanks for the call okay bye five two one talk five two one eight two five five if you want to join the conversation and or email it's beyond the news at cfra.com Back with more below in moments.
Beyond the News with Brian Lilly on News Talk 580 CFRA. Oh. Friend just sent me something that makes me smile, makes me like Brad Wall even better. Headline from a left-wing website denouncing Brad Wall and his sat, sat, yeah. I can say the province's name, Saskatchewan Party. Brad Wall and his Saskatchewan Party, they were re-elected recently. They had their throne speech earlier this week, and um, the environmentalists hate it. Wow. I just like him even, even more now. Let's go to Peter in New Edinburgh. Peter, you're on Beyond the News. Yeah, good, uh, good afternoon or good morning, Brian. Uh, you're doing a great job in um, explaining uh, exactly what happened. And, uh, you know, even the Globe and Mail is uh, doing their part to expose this silliness. But you know, uh, the, I think the, what, the state broadcaster, yeah, they, I mean, they are Trudeau cheerleaders. And with 150 million reasons behind it, all that extra yeah. money is given them. And even they couldn't spin this as anything yeah. other than he grabbed Gord Brown. I tell you what's going to happen, and uh, for all the people listening right now, they, they heard it here first, what's going to happen within two years, Trudeau's going to step down, they're going to have a leadership convention, he's going to hand the reins to somebody because uh, he he can't handle the pressure. It's, it's very obvious. And uh, You really you think know, that I, would he, happen? You know, yeah, and, and Brian, I tell you one thing, he would, Trudeau, would, these, these are character issues, and these, would not, these issues would not be happening if Trudeau had to uh, didn't have a trust fund, and he was forced uh, growing up to uh, uh, to pay his own way and to learn the uh, the lessons of life, which he clearly has not had happen to him. And uh, yeah, that's why we're seeing this. Who do you you think he's going to step down? I I think you're Absolutely. the second person that's told me that, and I'm, I'm a little surprised that uh, that people think it. No, absolutely, because he's so you, going you to, think the pressure will mount on him, and he'll just crack. Absolutely, because these are we're only six months into this uh, into this uh, liberal program, and the the pressure is going to it's going to be death by a thousand cuts. And you know the media is now so pervasive and twenty four seven that uh, he's not. And of course, the conservatives are going to be chipping away as well. And uh, you know, at the end of the day, he doesn't need the money, and I don't think he can bear the uh, the pressure that's going to... Uh, I don't know. He's got that lifestyle now, though, Peter. Uh, you, you're in New Edinburgh. You're not far from where he's living the high life and uh, yeah. giving up yeah, the car and the driver and the... Uh, yeah. the um... Well, Brian, I, I really I really think that we would have a different prime minister if he, if he hadn't been spoiled growing up and had to pay his own way like the rest of us. I mean, uh, you know, this... This kind of behavior, if there's more of this kind of behavior, this affects uh, affects our dollar, affects tourism, it affects everything about us. All right. Thanks for the call, Peter. Yeah. What do you think? Do you think Justin Trudeau is going to uh, step down? Do you think he'll crack under the pressure? Interesting theory. 521-TALK, 521-8255. Claire in Orleans, you're on Beyond the News. Well, hi, Brian. It's so nice to talk to you. And you. Thank so, you. So, that spoiled brat there. He's immatured. He shouldn't have been there at all. People that voted for him, stop complaining. They asked for it. He's immature, that guy. He's a spoiled brat. He had everything from his dad and his mom, and he's still doing the same thing. He can handle the pressure. 
He can't handle at all. He's got to turn crazy just like that's it, point. That's all I'm going to say. Right. He, he's immature. Shouldn't he, have been there at all. He acted immature. I, I say it's time for him to grow up because... It's I, time him for to grow up and he never will. He's acting like Obama. The way he walks, the way he does everything, he thinks he is. But he's got to get his red wagon fixed up. It's coming. <laughs> it's coming. You'll see. <laughs> Thanks it's for the coming. call, Claire. Okay, thank you. Have a good day. It was nice talking to you. And you. Bye. Terry emails in, maybe Parliament should be held in a giant bouncy castle so nobody gets hurt. After all, Justin Trudeau was a former bouncer. Time for one more call, sure. Let's go to John in Rockland. John, you're on Beyond the News. Yeah, good morning. You know, yesterday you said something about Trudeau's being only one man on the floor. You were completely off base there. How? The prime minister of this country is... I'll exaggerate, is the Führer of this country. Is the Every, what? The Führer. In other words... Did you say the Führer? Yeah. And I'll that, explain that, I, I don't like that term. <laughs> okay, I, I don't like that term applied to anybody. Dictator. Okay? But when you are on the floor of the House of Commons, the Prime Minister is... They're considered first among equals. But All is- MPs have the same amount of power to vote on the floor of the House of Commons. They have a few more levers of power as government, but as individual MPs... He's not their boss. Yes, he is. He's not the boss of the NDP or the Conservatives. No, he's the boss of his party. And whatever yeah, he, he says... but he was grabbing the Conservatives and he was uh, screaming at the NDP. He's not their boss. He's not their boss. He went, he, he went physical, uh, but Parliament has never been to me a place of respect. It's been a place of contempt, arrogance, attacking, demeaning each other. It is the last place on earth where respect for the individual and the thought process has ever been accepted. Or since 1968, when I started following politics, uh, and it's gotten now to the point of being physical. The next step, uh, I thought it was going to happen sooner than that. It, we're becoming a bit like, you know, the Europeans, where, where they start fighting? That was the next bet. We'll see if that happens. John, thanks for the call. You're welcome. I'll tell you this, and I've talked to Stephen Harper about this it, openly at uh, some event. Somebody was asking him about um, the tone in the House of Commons, and he said, you've got to read your history to know that people have always been at each other's throats, sometimes quite literally in the House of Commons. The, the verbal attacks that they launch at each other, very normal. And for there to be a partisan attitude, very normal. In fact... Do you know that it is two sorts lengths apart? That's the distance between the opposition benches and the government benches. Two sword lengths apart. Why? So that they couldn't hit each other with their uh, swords. They weren't allowed to carry guns in, but they were allowed to carry the swords years ago. I'm Brian Lilly. This is Beyond the News. Back in moments, you can email me, beyondthenews at cfra.com, or join the conversation. 521-TALK, 521-8255. On the news with Brian Lilly, News Talk 580 CFRA. Round and round and round we go. All the children sing. I think that song, uh, little Jeffrey Hatcher and the big beat from the 80s, I think that sums up Justin Trudeau, doesn't it? The man who would be king.
Everybody gather round. Paul, in Greeley, are you ready to gather round the man that would be king and, and cheer him on? Uh, I don't know about that, but uh, I just, uh, I'm going to be quick here. Um, I've been listening to this program for a long time, mm-hmm. and I've been hearing you guys for the last couple of days go on about this thing. And if it wasn't so annoying, it'd be hilarious. But you guys keep talking about maturity and uh, about the maturity. First of all, this guy's in his 40s, number one. Number two, I've watched the video many times, and the childishness of of the house to begin with is ridiculous. But that day, you got all these MPs standing in front of a guy who's trying to make his vote. They're all laughing like kids. And they were still laughing after he grabbed them and pulled them aside. And they're laughing and laughing until they realize, oh, he accidentally elbowed somebody. Oh, and then Montclair comes out. Oh, come on now. Montclair comes out and starts out. He's the one acting like a child. He looked like he was going to start tearing up. You want to talk about somebody having balls. And uh, you guys are trying to say that uh, Trudeau is the one who's immature? I mean, take a look at what's happening right now. You guys uh, have been going on about this for two days. He's the because, only one who acted but, like a man in the whole house. He pulled the guy aside and moved everybody out of the way. That's not his job, Paul. Never will be his job. It's not the job of any prime minister. It's not the job of the damn speaker, whose job it is to look after the decorum of the house. And until you understand how parliament actually operates... Don't so start thinking now, that, that he's a bouncer. Job, not the fact that he that he was. Oh, but he's a he's a, a, anti women and he's. I never first, said he's anti women. Don't don't for, two, for six don't. months first. He, Hold on, Paul. I'll bring you back on in a second. But I never said once that he's anti women, Paul. Not once did I say that. So don't put words in my mouth. I don't know. I've been listening to it for a few days now, and it's just well. You then you're not listening. You're, the you're not. You're not listening to me. You've just got your liberal antenna on, and you're projecting on no me. political affiliation. I think they're all crazy, but it's just hilarious that you guys are jumping on this like a like. It's, it's, it's you know what? It would be hilarious if it wasn't so important that this is happening in the house, and now you guys say this yeah, guy should so, step down and all this no, crazy baloney. No, I like, didn't. No, I didn't. Don't put words in my mouth. You, you, right, you sorry, call up. You, you call up. I, I think yeah. I've had one guy in two days say that he should step down. I've had one person say they think that in a year or two he'll crack under the pressure of the job and resign. Okay, so let, let's get that clear. One person right. yesterday said he should resign. One person today said they think he'll crack and leave in two years because he won't be able to handle the pressure. But, yeah, all my callers are saying he should resign. And we're all saying that he's anti-women. And we're all saying that he's the cause of the caramel secret. That's the rhetoric I'm hearing. That's the rhetoric everybody I'm talking to is hearing. Well, it's the only talk radio station, so everybody's listening. First off, it's rhetoric. And secondly, you're not hearing it on this program. So don't call up and insult me and insult my listeners and insult the station. That's what what – all right, fair enough. Man, I don't get it. This is the House of Commons, people. This is not the schoolyard. This is not the hockey rink. This is not a construction site. I think it was Kyle yesterday. Well, you know, I'm I'm not a liberal, but this was just fine by me. And if I work in construction and I don't move, then this is what happens. (sighs) 46 seconds. He was delayed by 46 seconds through a temper tantrum. He hit two people in the House. Sorry, let me rephrase. He grabbed one person in the House of Commons against his will. And yes, he did pull him up. He did drag him up. Was he dragging him by the feet? No, he's grabbing his arm and pushing him up through the other MPs. 
And yes, while doing that, he hit Ruth Ellen Brosseau. Intent is not required to hit. Otherwise, you know, two cars hit each other in a collision, in an accident. Do we say, oh, well, they didn't hit each other because they didn't mean to hit each other? I mean, the drivers were just not paying attention, so therefore they didn't hit each other. I mean, listen to how we parse words so that, and look, I'll admit there are people who hate Trudeau that are parsing the words the wrong way in order to make it sound even worse. But I have not said this is an act of anti-women, and I'm not sure that anyone on this program has. And when people have gone too far, I've called them out on it. But apparently, apparently Trudeau, even though he admits what he did was wrong, even though the state broadcaster admits what he did was wrong, even though he's apologized for it, the whole media party that sings like an alleluia chorus behind him as has said that what he did was wrong. We got people like Peter calling up and saying it's just fine. Is it fine by you, Linda? Linda in Pembroke, you're on Beyond the News. Yes, good morning, Brian. Uh, What I'd like to say is what I clearly experienced on the TV when I watched Justin Trudeau was a meltdown, a childish meltdown. And you know what? He's not in the boxing ring where he can punch other members out. And what I'd like to know is, does, is there a psychiatric evaluation for anybody that's going to be a prime minister? No. Because, well, look at Russell Williams. Look what he uh, was. Okay, he we, was can't, we, the... we, cannot, we cannot compare Justin Trudeau to Russell Williams. And yes, I know he was a high-powered guy. He actually helped fly the Prime Minister Harper around. Exactly, but I'd but, like to know. If, no, like, don't, let's not make comparisons that make us look bad. Well, you know, uh, the, the thing is, I won't be a bit surprised if this happens more in the future. And uh, I think um, he's been well, uh, widely I, I, I influenced can't, by I can't, Barack Obama. I can't, think I, of it, I can't think of it happening before. Well, so I don't, I, don't, I don't expect it to happen a whole lot in the future. I well, don't I ever do. remember it happening before. I do. I expect it to happen more. He's only six months in. Right. Well... We'll see what happens. We will continue to watch, of course. It's a long road, you know. Thanks for the call, Linda. Thank you. Bye-bye. James in Ottawa. You're on Beyond the News. Yes, Bill. Um, um, it's not that I'm defending Obama because I don't like Obama's policy either. Okay, but I'm not talking about Obama here. No, I, I, I'm, I'm making a point. I have heard people um, trying to compare Trudeau with Obama. Mm-hmm. Obama is a well-educated, well-rounded guy who is a professor of law, right? Okay. Okay. And people are trying to equate um, this little spoiled brat Trudeau with Obama. And as I said, Obama is a well-educated, well-rounded guy, carrying himself with dignity and respect. People have been insulting Obama um, uh, um, in his job, and Obama never reciprocates. Okay. Well, I would disagree with that because I've heard him. He he goes after his enemies uh, with the same uh, uh, tough language that they go after him. He well, he's not af- he's not afraid to throw a punch. I mean, verbally. Well, <laughs> well um, according to what he has been through, I wouldn't be surprised of, of hearing that, but I've never seen it. All but right. What I'm trying to say, you, you're trying to say that Justin Trudeau is no Barack Obama. No, he's not. He's not. He, 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 um, um, Justin Trudeau could never put his, his foot in Obama's shoe. Now, um, 
Um, Justin Trudeau, he wants to be, he wants to be, be an Obama, which he, he could never be. Mm-hmm. And again, um, I want to make this point, and I've heard people say it, and I strongly believe it. Trudeau doesn't have nothing, no, nothing it takes to be, to be, uh, to be the leader of Canada. Maybe he could have been the leader of Haiti or some or, or someone <laughs> or some one of these um, um, substandard countries, but not Canada. And I and I also predict um, he's, he's going to shatter under that responsibility because he doesn't have what it takes mentally, physically. He just doesn't have well, what he, it takes. He's admitting now, and uh, there, there's a brief clip out from his interview with Reuters. He's admitting that he was having a bad day and he snapped. Uh, so I mean, there he's admitting it again. So we, he's he's got to learn to deal with the pressure. I don't know that I'm going to agree with you or the earlier caller that said he will crack under it. But if he, he if he doesn't figure out how to deal with it, then I I guess eventually he will because we all figure out how to deal with pressure, or we crack under it. Right? Well, the guy does not what it takes. Hearing the guy speak alone, you can see he's been told what to say. The guy doesn't have the have have the mental guts for the job. He's just being told what to what to say and what to do. This guy doesn't have have what it takes on his own. All right. It's true. It's true. Being in that position, you have to have counsel. But this guy cannot. He cannot move with without that. This guy just not, and um, he, he, he this guy is going to break. He's going to break. We, it will not take long. We shall see, James. Thanks for the call. You okay, want to join you. the conversation? It's five two one talk five two one eight two five five star five eighty on Bell Mobility. Or email beyondthenews at CFRA.com. I'm Brian Lilly, the B-Lil. We'll be back soon with Donna and Canada and Doug up in the fru. Ann and Cornwall's on the line. Hi, Ann. Can't wait to talk to you. This is Beyond the News with Brian Lilly. Follow the outrage on Twitter at CFRA Ottawa. Give it to me, I'm worth it. You know, I want to apologize to you, the audience, because I lost it on Peter there, and I'm fine with people calling up and, and debating me and give it to me, right? Just give it to me. I'm worth it. But what drives me nuts, and this is why I, I try not to be the stereotype that the haters have of this show and this program. Oh, you just yell at callers and hang up on them. But when someone calls up, and starts putting words in your mouth, and then you say, no, that's not the case. And then they keep putting words in your mouth, and they project onto you all the things that they hate, and none of it's true, and they will not let you speak. Well, I lost my temper. I'm good with debate, but let's have an honest debate, people. Let's not set up straw men and then beat them up. And that's what Peter was doing. You guys are all saying this. No, no, we're not. Donna in Canada, you are on Beyond the News. Good for you for losing your temper, and you should do it more often. Um, <laughs> I just have to, seriously, you can't let these people get away with that sort of thing. I'm absolutely flabbergasted as to how the lefties can put a spin on what uh, happened. Let, let's be fair, Donna. Let's yes. be fair. Yes. New Democrats are upset at Justin Trudeau. So it, it's big L liberals who are defending the indefensible here. The dippers on the left are saying the same thing the conservatives on the right are. Wait a second. M- Mr. Sir, 
if Stephen Harper had ever behaved in that fashion, not even not even with the actions, just just the foul language, they would have demanded that he step down. I mean, that, it's so incredibly uh, unacceptable what happened. There's the Prime Minister of Canada. It's mind-boggling, and and they're making excuses for that kind of behavior. Unfortunately, mm-hmm. the Canadian people have elected a Cub Scout to do a general's job. This <laughs> and this young kid has got no life experience. He has he's a drama teacher, and he's simply a spokesperson. He has a bad temper. He's immature. He's a kid trying to do the general's job. And God uh, forbid, where are we going to be in four years' time? Forty-four oh. years old, Donna. 44 years old, he needs to act like it. But he has no life experience. He has, she's been living off of, off of a trust fund. I mean, he hasn't got a clue how to run a country. Donald Trump, on his worst day, would never behave in that fashion. Never, never, never. And, and we're accepting this? Well, uh, all, 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 the liberal, all the liberal supporters that ask how anyone can back Donald Trump and the things he says need to ask themselves, really, what are you defending? Right? Because they all they all say Trump acts in an awful way. Trump does this. How can you defend what he says or does? They're defending the indefensible with Justin Trudeau now. Uh, There's no room for them to criticize Trump anymore. Absolutely. I agree with you 100%. Right. Anyway. Thank, um, thanks uh, for the call. He needs to – there has to be repercussions uh, to what he has done. Uh, Stephen Harper was always prime ministerial. I, I would agree. Got to run. Thanks for the call, Donna. class and dignity. Thank you. Let's go to Anne in Cornwall. Anne, you're on Beyond the News. Oh, hi. <clears throat> oh, uh, yesterday um, we listened to the former speaker, right? Mm-hmm. Uh, was it Andrew Shearer? Or, uh, a- Andrew Shearer, yes. yes. Okay. So th- wasn't he the young man who had to, uh, was crying as he apologized to the House for misleading the House last year? Yes. He was. I, and, I, I, well, hold, hold on, Anne. One, okay. I, I, he was crying, just a, like the master. Yes. Anne? Yes. I don't recall that. Of course two, not. But, uh, two, anyway. what, what does that have to do with the price of peanut butter in Japan? Because are, are credibility you, is credibility. <clears throat> are, are, are you going to he defend Justin Trudeau in, now? Uh, I am going to say that he made a mistake. He apologized. But I have to say this. For decades, we've been saying, oh, that House of Commons, it's a disgrace. We wouldn't even let our kids go there to watch. So I'm so thrilled, so thrilled we're going into procedures. Because you know what? Witnesses have to tell the truth. Not, unlike the uh, House of Commons, which was uh, actually... <laughs> then, then you don't, uh, you uh, don't like watch Harper committees. Instituted ...that you could mislead, actually mislead, you, without being arrested. But in committee, you have to tell the truth. The, so I'm obvious, hoping, obviously, you don't watch committees, Anne. I watch them all the time, and obviously, you don't understand that you have to tell the truth. There's a legal ob- obligation. That is why the Harper government used to send ministers who were not part of a portfolio so they could claim they didn't know anything. But the point is, uh, that was last, uh, during uh, committee meetings. There, for, here, over, here, here we over go. Over six years. No, no. Here we but, go. Okay, and and making excuses. Now? And making excuses for not Justin excuses. Trudeau. I'm trying to say I'm dying for this to go to committee because I want rules. I want five. We don't need any more no, rules. Yes, we do. Otherwise, as even Elizabeth May said, there was mischief going on. And, I, I, and everybody said the big football player, why couldn't he move through to uh, do the job he was supposed to do? They anyway, were using a procedural tactic to delay, to delay. To delay. It was they, not procedural. He it was, was doing it rules. on purpose it was to the delay, rules. to protest 
the undemocratic actions of the government that you love and support. What, and what, un, what undemocratic thing? It was a, a vote, a vote that was called. And, and, and what I want to know in committee, what did the NDP, to, the NDP do last week to change uh, the schedule so that uh, uh, liberals could not vote? They, oh, baloney, they, they didn't show up to work and stop defending the indefense. Well, you're coming up with 15 different excuses. Unreal. Beyond the News, Brian Lilly, back after this. This is Beyond the News with Brian Lilly. Get some FaceTime with Brian. Join the resistance at Facebook.com slash 580 CFRA. I was a little disappointed with Ann's call there. I know Ann calls in to stir the pot on this, and uh, I know that um, I know that she's an unrepentant liberal. That's fine, but I thought she might live up to her ideals and not defend the indefensible. Instead, she's oh, I'm not defending it, but look at all these other guys. They're worse. Squirrel. And that's essentially what her call was: yelling "squirrel" over and over again. Doug in Renfrew, you are on Beyond the News, my friend. Yeah, I'm on, but I'm a little bit confused because uh, I used to work for the Department of the Government, and uh, I, I know the House of Par- Commons has rules about set the center of the floor. And I, I mean, crossing, I get all that, but let's just take it out of there for a second. Mm-hmm. My left, my left, uh, my place of employment. I retired uh, as a manager the last few years, and as soon as any altercation on the floor. Put a person's finger on another person, just a finger, with or without force. Yeah. I I was mandated by two laws, the laws of assault of the province and OSHA, to escort that person to the front gate, take away their pass, and send them home without pay for three days. This was in a government department? Yeah. Are you able to say which one? No. Sorry. Okay. Fair enough. But, but but th- those can those not, were the can rules. Can you not see that as being logistical? Those were the rules that you had to operate under as a government employee. Yeah. Unreal. So, you know, as soon as you crossed, as soon as you closed that space between your body and his body, you were gone to the gate for three days. And will he do it again in the short term? No. That's why his third apology was the best. His first two weren't genuine, but then his third one got scripted (laughs) for the next day for him. It truly truly was scripted. Everything has to be for him. So now your good ales and your McCallums will take him into a back room and they'll script him away from this for a couple of years and tune him down and dress him down and tone him down. And that'll all be good. However, what you have to remember is... Look at his father and look at his mother, and those genetics and their mental capabilities will come creeping back. And when he blows the next time, it'll be a long time out, but baby, it'll be big. We shall see. Thanks for the call, Doug. Take care. Let's go to Mike in Ottawa. Mike, you're on Beyond the News. Hi, Brian. How are you? Yeah. You know, it's a beautiful day. It's the long weekend. I'm loving it. It is a great day. You know, I'm I'm somebody that's not political. I don't follow political parties. Um, I just there's a whole lot of people in this that you know really deserve a lot of blame. First one is Trudeau. Uh, 
what are you doing? You know, uh, second one is Mulcair. You know, he acted like quite the tough guy, you know, standing yelling at somebody with about two people in front of him. And that NDP member... Well, if, if you watch the video, you see Nathan Cullen get in front of him to make sure that Mulcair can't get it, Trudeau. Oh, he wouldn't have done anything anyway. And then you look at, you know, and then you look at the NDP member who possibly should be a soccer player instead of an MP because the diving she did was just... Epic. No, no, I, I disagree, Mike. That was not a dive at all. You can watch the video in slow-mo. You can watch the video however you want. She was hit. It was a hit. Well, I've been hit harder standing on a bus. I mean, but but my point is, the main point is, how do you expect him or anybody else to act with decorum if they're sitting in that House of Commons? You know, the way they act is, you know, a couple of people have said before, you know, you wouldn't bring your kids to. Um, you know, it's just... I have. But if, that, but if that is the way they act, you know, how do you expect any of them you know the way the real world works where you know if you were in a in a, a meeting at your radio station you know uh there is no foul language at least where i work uh you know you don't you don't interrupt somebody speaking uh you know and 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 the speaker of the house like why is he even there he doesn't do anything he's been really good on question period and so that's why i'm shocked that he was so ineffective and somebody said to me, well, maybe he didn't see it. I said, well, he saw enough to call it manhandling. Yeah, but, you know, and, and but to call it abuse, like, quite frankly, I find, and this is my view, I find that a personal insult to people that are suffering real abuse. I, I, I have not abuse. called it abuse. No, I know you I've, haven't, but I've heard it, other d- people does say it, that. Does it actually, and I, well, I haven't heard them on this show, does it actually qualify as assault, what he did to Gord Brown, by the legal definition passed by the parliament that they sit in, it does. That Those yeah. are the rules that we are all supposed to live by. They're the ones that pass those rules. And yeah, it was assault. Do I think there should be charges? I personally don't. But I think he does need to be reprimanded like any of us would in our oh, workplace so if we did that. He should so have been, been ejected from the legislature. Uh, it was Doug in Renfrew just before you saying he, he was a supervisor, and one person laid a finger on another person. He was mandated to kick them out without pay for three days. Well, I mean, that's like in any workplace, right? But, but you know, this is just, it's bad theater, and it's just such a joke. And that's, you know, our parliamentary it, system is a joke. It, I'm it, sorry. If he had sat still for 30 more seconds, the vote would have started. And any of those MPs not sit, not seating, not seated, <laughs> I'll learn to speak eventually. Any of those MPs not seated, meaning in their chair and not milling about in the aisle, they wouldn't be allowed to vote. Those, True, those but... are the rules. All he had to do was sit still, but he was yeah. too petulant that his, his wishes weren't being followed. Thanks for the call, yeah. Mike. Thanks. Let's go to Scott in Barhaven. Scott, you're on Beyond the News. Yeah, Brian. All I keep hearing, and I've listened for the last couple of days, is people aren't that surprised, and neither am I, by the way. I, uh, I kind of saw this coming with his personality type. I'm going to draw a parallel that people haven't drawn what, yet. What do you mean personality type? Well, I find him, A, entitled, but B, he tends to be a little bit sociopathic, in my opinion. Okay, this because this all this is is opinion. <laughs> There's a lot of armchair psychologists out there, but go there ahead. Definitely Let's hear is. it. <laughs> there definitely is. But I personally don't think he likes the job. 
I really don't. I think it's more than he was bargaining for. And I think this 46-second delay was 46 seconds longer than he wanted to work. I really believe this guy is in over his head. Uh, and his wife included, by the way, by some of the conjoined behavior. They, they just come across as very entitled in that capacity. I, I'll social- agree on entitled. I, 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 I'm not ready to say sociopath. I don't well, think that's a, a word that like, fits. In, in this way, Brian, in this way, he doesn't seem to have much empathy. I just don't see that with him. The same thing, well, by the way. A, a, nobody- empathy if you're on his side and none if you're not. I still think that he's an opportunist, just like, and this here's the parallel I'm going to draw. I'm drawing it to Donald Trump. Donald Trump is also, in my opinion, somebody that doesn't realize that he's probably not going to like the job. The same is Trudeau. I think that both of these guys tend to be a little bit, you know, I say and that's it. Like Trump's been used to that. He's been Mm -hmm. running his own company for years. He's going to realize when he gets into Congress and whatnot that, he can't just say something and it gets done. It has to pass through this and through this and through this. And I think Trudeau's the same way. I think he's entitled. Uh, let's use the word entitled. Entitled in the sense that, wah, 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 I want it my way. That's it. Boom. Pull him out of there. The same thing. I believe Trump has the same type of personality trait in that way. It, I got to go to the next call, Scott, because the lines are jammed and we're, uh, sure. the show's running out. But I'll say this. Um all the people that are defending Trudeau would be denouncing Trump if he did the exact same thing. Let's go to Don in Canada. Don, you're on uh, Beyond the News. Yes, uh, Brian. Mm-hmm. Um, I'm just a little bit um, frustrated of what's going on right now, especially in the House of Commons. What is the Speaker of the House does in that House of Commons? What is, what is his uh, job? Their job is to keep order and decorum, and That's... he failed miserably on Wednesday night. That's right. So if he just... He's, 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 I, I would, I'm sorry to say that, but I think he's just a useless man. His position is not good for him. He should, there should be somebody else there that well, knows the job. No, I, look, I, I, I've seen many speakers over the years. Uh, I, some better than, are better than others. Like I've said, uh, Speaker Jeff Reagan, Regan, not sure how he pronounces his name. I, have to, I, think, I have trouble saying Regan, but I think it's that. Uh, he has... Uh, performed well in question period in trying to keep things under wraps and stop the MPs from getting too rowdy and yelling at each other and behaving badly. But on Wednesday night, he he just failed miserably in that moment. Uh, d- does it mean that he should be out of the job? No, I, I don't think so. But he he goofed. Yeah, that's right. He goofed. And on top of that one, our prime minister is not any better. I think uh, the way he's doing his job is not for him either because uh, He's just a young kid. I don't think he's, he think first before he opens Stop his mouth. calling him a young kid. He's 44. I know he's 44, but he never grown up yet. I'm sorry to tell you that, but he doesn't think first before he says something. Like, you have to think first, the people in Canada, not just for himself or for his party or for his cronies. Canada is a big country. It's not just for himself. So forget about yourself. You, you are voted for the prime minister. It's very shameful the way he acts in the House of Commons. That's not the way to act as a leader of a country. Thanks for the call, Don. Bye. Let's go to Danny in South America. You're calling from Columbia, South America, Danny. Hi, Brian. It's Donnie. Donnie from, uh, well, I'm usually from Barhaven, but I've been down in Columbia the last four or five months. 
And, uh, no, I just, uh, we don't hear too much about Canada, but I listen to your show all the time. you got a great show. And uh, I just want to talk about our prime minister. I imagine all the people that voted against uh, Harper must be thinking deep down, why did I vote for this twit, you know? I mean, I just can't understand it at all. I mean, and then somebody on your show mentioned, Brian, that maybe in a year or so, or the pressure will be too much, and this prime minister we have right now will resign. Listen, this guy wants to be king for the next eight years. In other words, he will never resign because he enjoys taking so many selfies of himself. And, uh, I mean, he likes to be king, and that's it. And it's so sad. You know, I'm starting to think of, um, uh, well, you've probably heard, Brian, on this, but uh, Maduro, or the uh, Venezuelan dictator, well, they don't even have food over there now. Well, you know, they're having mass manifestations every day in the streets. And honest to God, if we let this guy continue to be prime minister after our next election, we're really in trouble, Canada. So think it. Shake your head before you vote for Trudeau again in the next election. That's all I can say, Brian. All right. Thanks for the call, Danny. I'm Brian Lilly. This is Beyond the News. We'll wrap up with as many calls as we can get through when we come back. In a world gone mad, there must be resistance. You're listening to Beyond the News with Brian Lilly on News Talk 580 CFRA. The Raptors got manhandled last night like Justin Trudeau was on the floor. We'll talk about that after the news at the top of the hour. And uh, then we'll, we'll also hear later on from Dean Brown, play-by-play voice of the Ottawa Senators, John Budden on some market issues coming up in his weekly look at it. And... Uh, it's Victoria Day weekend. I think we're going to talk to John Robson about a little bit of history and why we actually owe the Victorian era so much, despite what Miriam Monsif thinks. Ben, in Canada, you are on Beyond the News. Hi, Brian. So I think what Justin Trudeau did was clearly wrong. Uh, and, uh, you know, for me, though, an apology is enough. He stood up there, he apologized, shouldn't have done it. I am certainly no fan of the Liberals. Kathleen Wynne. I can't stand her. I hate her. So I want, you to make, I want you to know that I'm certainly not someone who supports the Liberals. That being said, I look at it as if, uh, if, if Stephen Harper had done the same thing, and he didn't, but had he done the same thing, I would have been contented with an apology. Sorry, I was frustrated. Because it's got to be pretty frustrating. You spent a lot of time on Parliament Hill. It's got to be pretty frustrating if you're somebody who wants to get something done and it's stuck in this uh, mire of process and well, that, infighting that, that, and that that process is is how our government works and 46 seconds is a little too short of a time to say well he was being delayed so he lost his temper oh, i sure. think he's and he's he was wrong. he's finally gotten to the point where he's apologizing properly but it shouldn't have taken 3 times <laughs> well, that, that it, might be fair. His first, I, just, I mean, the first time he's asked to apologize, he's like, well, I just extended my arm in assistance to the conservative whip. Yeah. <laughs> that was laughable. Then he gave the I'm sorry if, but apology. And, and, and then, as several callers have pointed out, once he got his handlers, they, they made him write a real apology. Shouldn't have taken watched- three times. I watch the legislature on TV, and sometimes, and I'm sure it's the same for you, sometimes I want to jump through that TV and, and start going ballistic in, in that room. There's just it, It's just not as functional, functional as it could be. Again, I'm no Trudeau fan. 
a big Harper fan. But they they made they, a couple of apologies. They all heckle. They all yeah. heckle. Absolutely, yeah. Oh, yeah. they all heckle. All right, yeah, thanks. Yeah, for thanks sure. for the call, Ben. Thank you. Appreciate Let's it. go to Barry in Ottawa. This might be the last word. Barry, you there? Yeah, funny ways. Absolutely. I, I think I think maybe he'd make a good weatherman if you give him time to understand what cumulonimbus means. <laughs> uh, anyways, uh, um, I've noticed over the years, uh, Brian, that the Liberals, when they're in power, especially when they're in power, they seem to have this air of arrogance. Like, we know more than you do. We know everything. You can't tell us anything, and we're just going to go ahead and do what we want to do, even though we made promises. And the same thing happened with Dalton McGinty. I believe the same thing happened with Pierre Elliott Trudeau. But this era of arrogance with the Liberals, um, uh, Justin's developed it, I think, quite well. Uh, Dalton McGinty, what really disturbed me about him was right after 9-11, where he made a comment that, oh, the Americans could learn a lot from us you know, and behave more um, like I, us. And, I, I, I don't recall that. But, yeah, I um, remember that one look, with Dalton. But, being, uh, being in power will make anyone arrogant, Barry. It can absolutely yeah. happen. And did it happen in the last government? Absolutely. Not at the beginning and not as quickly, let me tell you. But, uh, Justin Trudeau's arrogance walking by reporters smirking right after the incident on Wednesday night? Yeah. Uh, that surprised me. Well, I, I think even Pierre Elliott Trudeau had his moments of anger with the media where he would get angry and he would go off base or whatever you want to call it. But I often wonder if Pierre Elliott Trudeau hadn't been voted in as prime minister, would we have still had the FLQ crisis? Yeah. No, they, they, they were bombing mailboxes and stuff long before he, he got into power. Oh yeah. Okay. I don't remember all the specific. I know that they, they were bombing mailboxes. Uh, People were injured. People died. Got to wrap it there, Barry. Thanks for the call. Thanks, everyone, for their call. Sorry if we didn't get to you, but uh, this is obviously still a hot topic a lot of people want to have their say on. We'll have the phone lines open again Monday. Brian Lilly, more Beyond the News coming up. Some days, the resistance verges on rebellion. Beyond the News with Brian Lilly. News Talk 580 CFRA. And they will take a 2-0 lead across the border to the Air Canada Centre for Saturday night's game. Do or die for Toronto. No team in NBA history has ever come back from 3-0. Oh, sadly, that was the end of the game last night for the Toronto Raptors going down 108-89 to to the Cleveland Cavaliers and LeBron James. I'm getting into basketball a little bit, but as I've been telling the boys here in the production room, my uh, my youngest son, my youngest boy, is really getting into it. He's asking me about Steph Curry. He's asking me about LeBron. He's asking me about the Raptors. So I'm having to learn more. So I'm bringing in people that actually know. I, I'm enjoying it, but these guys actually know. They also host a podcast called Three in the Key. So we got two of the three in the key right now. Eliza Zane. Dave Tripp, welcome, gents. That, by you. the way, these Thank are the you. guys that take your calls and push buttons, uh, well, some of the time. Multi-talented. Multi-talented, <laughs> gents. Glad no, to be here, Bilo. No team has come back from a 3 nothing deficit in NBA history in the playoffs. So wh- the next game Saturday? Saturday night at the ACC. Okay. Must win. Must win and huge. I was listening to Maddie Kay this morning on with Bill Carroll saying they're not going to do it. No. 
I, I don't think so. They'd have to play perfect basketball, as in can't limit turnovers, get out in transition. They've only had nine fast break points in these two first games, so you got to score the basketball before Cleveland can even set up their defense because they're all over you. With a guy like LeBron and, and Tristan Thompson down low that anchors uh, their defense, you're going to have a hard time uh, getting to the paint if they're set. And they're just settling for three-point shots, and they're not getting it a go. They're only shooting 20, 24% from three-point range, which won't get it done against uh, Cleveland. That's not going to get it done against the best team in the Eastern Conference, and the, the Raptors just aren't getting it done. Their best players aren't playing that well right now. Kyle Lowry has not been up to his all-star form so far in the postseason, and uh, we've got a clip here when he's talking about how he, how confident he is that he can turn it around when they need it most. I'll find ways. You know, we got a chance to. I got, I got a game on uh, Saturday, and to turn it around and be more effective. And I know I could be more effective, and I will be more effective on Saturday. Well, if he's not more effective, then they're done. But I, looking back, and I know the Miami Heat were not, they're not the Cleveland Cavaliers, no. and they don't have LeBron. They don't even have Shaq anymore. Uh, but it was, you know, the Raptors won ninety six ninety two. Uh, and then it was 95-91. They were not high-scoring games. Right now, they're being beat by well more than 20 points. Yeah, and Cleveland's averaging 111 in these two first games while the Raptors are only averaging 86. And you're not going to beat Cleveland scoring 86 or 90 or 95 points because this is a team that scores in the paint at a high rate. They've scored over 50 points in the paint in these two first games while the Raptors haven't even cracked over 20-25 so, and the Raptors had to go to uh, Game Seven in both series to get here, while the Cav- Cavaliers they they swept. That's kind of a tale of two teams right now, where the Raptors are playing the worst basketball they have all season, and the Cleveland Cavaliers are really hitting their stride. They're starting to hit outside shots, which they had trouble with during the regular season, and they're really a much more versatile team. The Raptors just can't compete right now. So, I, I always do like an underdog story, though. So I'm I'm not going to write them off yet. Maybe after Saturday, I'll write them off. <laughs> well, they were the better team during the regular season. They actually won two out of three games against the Cavs. But so they, they can they can beat them if they're on their game. Yes, but and... they have to be on their game, and they have to play with grit because when you're down two nothing in a best of seven, if you're not playing with grit, you're toast. Well, it all starts with stopping LeBron, and Coach Dwayne Casey said that he can't be concerned with just stopping LeBron. He's got other priorities. I'm more concerned about the Toronto Raptors. Uh, they're a great team. I respect them. But, again, we're here to win. We're not here to to uh, to in- increase his legacy or anything like that. We're trying to take his legacy. We're trying to win. Just, just stop him from marching down the court unopposed. But that's the thing with LeBron. Yesterday, triple-double, 23-11 and 11, his 15th in the postseason. But it all starts... For the Raptors with Kyle Lowry, who's really struggled in these two games. Only 8 for 28 from the field. That's 28%. 1 for 15 from deep. And he's a good three-point shooter. Shot it at almost 40% during the regular season, but only 25 in the postseason. And these are the shots that the Raptors need to make. And they need him to start with Kyle Lowry, who's really like their anchor on defense and on offense. DeRozan's been playing well. He's been scoring, although he's taken... Uh, lots of shots, lots of bad shots, but he's still the only one scoring for the Raptors. So 
kind of balances it out, but Kyle Lowry is the one that has to pick it up. It's not like against Indiana or Miami where you have a few games and your team and your bench can get you a win or two here and then you can pick it up. Listen, if they don't win game three, they're done. It's not like they can win game four and then go back to Cleveland and try to extend it. And even if you lose game three, going into game four, obviously a must win. But Cleveland is there to close it out so they can pack up and go back home and get ready for the finals. Yeah. Um, the in case you think that you've somehow changed off of News Talk 580 CFRA and you're you're on TSN 1200, no, this is still Belil. This is still beyond the news. But talking a little basketball with um, Elias Elzane and Dave Tripp, these are two guys that work in the uh, production side of things. Normally, don't let them on the air for very good reasons, but you know, I'm, I'm <laughs> letting it happen pass. today. I'm letting it's, it's yeah, it's Friday before a long weekend. And uh, they also host at Three in the Key. Tell people where they can find. If you're into basketball and you want to hear in-depth basketball discussion, and obviously uh, Elias is the numbers geek over here with the the printout and, and all the stats, where where can they find your podcast and hearing? Just visit us at threeinthekey.ca and you'll find all the links to it's our num- Facebook. Number three, number three in the key. In the key.ca. You'll find uh, everything you need on there, our Facebook, our Twitter our SoundCloud, iTunes, TuneIn, we're all over the place. It's okay. just easy for people to go to our website. Basketball in Canada has been growing, especially in the Toronto area, in the GTA. It's become huge. And I was talking with Dean Brown about this a little while ago, that it is becoming bigger here, and, and we've got some of the best basketball in the country here, because especially of the Ravens, but also I didn't know the GGs had, had t- turned um Turned yeah. up their, their For team. the last couple of years, I'd say five, six years, they've been really competitive. Number two ranked team, maybe the last four years, I want to say, in the country. Even at one point, they were ranked number one uh, heading into the final eight. They have a really good program. Obviously, Carlton is the top of the top, and they push other programs to try try to uh, join them. And, uh, and the, uh, the GGs have done that in the past couple of years, and they will be good again this up- upcoming season. Not to sound like a Carlton uh, student or fan, but what the, is a GG? Uh, <laughs> Dave, Dave let, let me ask you, is a basketball the, and the popularity of it to, to watch and to watch the NBA a going outside of the sports geeks like you two? No, I would dis- I, I would say that it is, and I'd say that a it, lot of people it is are not. I know I'd say a lot of people are starting to notice basketball and take note, and you're starting to see a lot of good Canadian kids come through the draft this year. We're going to have Jamal Murray picked in the lottery, one of the better players from Toronto. Our Canadian national team's getting better, and just in time for those Olympics, where we're going to have a chance to qualify. Yeah, I'll tell you, for years I would only watch March Madness, and the NBA bugged me, and it's like you know they're too good, right? That that was always my knock against it, too good. But I've started watching it again. No, they do stop. It's not just watch one guy march down the court, score, watch the other guy go down, score, because that would be boring. Yeah, and that's how it was before, lots of isolation basketball. But now you have teams like the Spurs who are built around passing. Obviously, Golden State, who've taken it to another level on both ends of the basketball. They love to pass, and the game has elevated from taking the less athletic players to more of a three-point shooting game. Mm-hmm. A lot of guys shoot the three-pointer. And now with Steph Curry shooting it, lights out. A lot of the kids want to be like him and just want to shoot every time from beyond the arc. So that's where the game that's is what, kind of That's what taken. my boy in grade six was saying. At school, all the kids, when they're taking the shot, they say, Steph Curry with the shot. And, and, then, that was, and then it was they Kobe a few years ago. Yeah, it was Kobe, and now it's, uh, <laughs> it's Curry. So it's good to see that the game's evolving, especially in Canada. Going back to that point that you made, Brian, with the only Canadian team in the playoffs 
being from Toronto, the Raptors and no Canadian teams in the NHL this postseason. So I think that's affected some of the viewers to kind of watch basketball and support the only Canadian team in a postseason uh, this spring. So that that's definitely helped. Yeah. By the way, Steph Curry did some of his um, foundational basketball in Canada while his dad was up playing for the Raptors years ago. Yeah, there's lots of videos of him warming up and taking shots at the ACC as a young, like, 14-year-old or whatever it was, and now he's a two-time MVP. He'd be nothing without us. Exactly. <laughs> yeah, let's claim him. His let's wife claim is him. Canadian, so... Yeah? Yeah. Uh, okay, we'll go Dave, then Elias. Uh, prediction for the score Saturday night. Can the Raptors pull out one Saturday night? What's your prediction on the score? You know what? I hope they can. I, I'm going to say they will take game three, and then it'll go. The series will end in five, but I think it'll be very tight. I think the Raptors will actually get scoring. Kyle Lowry typically doesn't sit down for two games in a row. He has. I mean, game three has to be the game he comes back. I bet you he puts up 30 points, just like he did in game six and game seven. Elias? Uh, no, I, I don't see it. I think Cleveland is just too good. Cleveland wins, and then they close it out. In the ACC on Monday night. Well, they got to break 100 points if they want to be, beat the Cavaliers. Uh, right. This sticking below 90, just not working. Gents, thanks. Thank you. Always a pleasure. I'm Brian Lilly. This is Beyond the News. Back to pushing buttons, you two. <laughs> Stick around. Uh, I'm going to give you my thoughts on Facebook and this conservative uh, news suppression when we come back. Uh, later on, David Harris, John Robson, John Button. It's a Friday. To you, he's rebellious. To official Ottawa, he's disdainfully insubordinate. You're listening to Beyond the News with Brian Lilly on News Talk 580 CFRA. You've heard about and we've talked about the issue of Facebook censoring news in their trending topic section. This became a story after a former employee uh, spoke to Gizmodo and said, yep, Yep, I was an editor at the trending section and was told to suppress conservative stories. You know, if it's about CPAC or Rand Paul or Ted Cruz or Glenn Beck or anything like that, yeah, don't put that in there, but, you know, boost liberal stories. That's what they were told. Well, this week there was a a couple of things happened on that front. One good, one bad. One, Mark Zuckerberg, Zuckerberg took a pile of conservatives to a meeting in California. And he spoke with them about how their whole business operation works and specifically about the trending topics, because that's one aspect. He promised to try and be better. He said there's no rule for this, but that if there's a problem, if there were certain editors, they're going to try and be better. And I want to read part of an open letter that Glenn Beck, who was in the meeting, wrote. And he spoke about what disturbed him. But I have to point out, that here in Canada, on Wednesday night, as Elbowgate's trending all over Twitter, as people are talking about this online everywhere, there was no mention of what Trudeau did in Facebook's trending topics section until the rebel.media posted a story on the rebel blogger, the megaphone blog about it. No mention of it. There was uh, stories about his uh, Komagara Maru, that was a big trending topic, apparently, but not this, which was very odd. Sometime around or after midnight, it finally became a topic six hours later. But I want to read to you a little bit about what disturbed Glenn Beck in the 
uh, meeting that he had with Facebook. Beck says he went in with an open mind. Facebook is a very big part of his business, as it is mine. But he went in with an open mind. But what disturbed him was hearing conservatives use this opening to demand the things that conservatives normally fight against. Like, will you send your liberal employees for sensitivity training on conservative issues? Will you hire a specific quota of conservatives? We have to make sure, if you believe in conservative ideas and conservative values, and that's what I promote on this program, then we've got to make sure that we're not turning around and being what we're fighting against. And that is what was going on with some of the people. There's more than a dozen of them. That's what was going on with some of the people in this meeting. They wanted Facebook to do for conservatives all the things that conservatives normally fight against. Quotas, sensitivity training, PC ideas. It was absolutely ridiculous. We have to be better than that. You have thoughts on this? Email me, beyondthenews, at CFRA.com. When we get back, we're going to be talking with uh, with Dean Brown, play-by-play voice of the Ottawa Senators, and uh, John Budden stand, standing by. I'm Bilo. This is Beyond the News. Every revolution starts with a rebel. Beyond the News with Brian Lilly. News Talk 580 CFRA. Friday, time to join Dean Brown, the play-by-play voice of the Ottawa Senators. Dean, how are you, how are you doing, today? Brian? Uh, you I'm, know, I'm it, it, well. it, is, it is a long weekend. It is a beautiful sunny day out, and it's going to be like that all weekend. So I'm good. It's time beautiful. to grab some brown pop and, uh, and enjoy the weekend shortly. Mm-hmm. Well, just stay away from die number eight. Apparently that's a Carson Jim, but other than that, <laughs> you're in your best behavior. Last night, last <laughs> night, the, uh, the Blues... Shutting out the um, the Sharks again, or sorry, the, the San Jose shutting out the Blues again. 3 nothing after a 4 nothing win the other night. They're having a good streak. Yeah, they are. They're, uh, they're taking advantage of their opportunities. It's almost, uh, it's almost like uh, when the Blues get a chance, they just uh, can't get any puck luck going. And like we've talked about before, you know, San Jose just has a higher skill level. And right now, uh, they, are, they are willing to take the... Uh, the physicality that uh, the Blues are throwing at them to, to get to the net and get shots away. And right now, uh, you know, I think for St. Louis to, to have any chance to stay in this series, they've got to, they got to at least score a goal. You know, you've, you've gone, you're in the playoffs now and you've gone two games and haven't scored a goal. You, you know, you yeah. don't have to be a genius to figure out that's not a prescription for winning a series. <laughs> yeah, I've never seen a team win without scoring, but Martin Jones is on fire. So I'm guessing that, you know, whatever ritual he did before the last two games, uh, he's going to keep up in his very superstitious ways that all athletes seem to have. Yeah, <laughs> and you know what? Uh, He—if uh, you look at the—forget about the shots—but if you just look at the quality of saves, he didn't have as many tough chances to face. I don't think as Brian Elliott, and then you know they—they—they they, they made the change. But um, the key is, and every coach will tell you, it, it isn't—it isn't how many; it's making the big ones at the right time. And 
you know, he made a couple of big saves in that game, and that's all he had to make, but he made them, and, and that's that's a huge key. But you, you almost get the sense in that series, Brian, that, you know, the St. Louis Blues know that they can't win a track meet. They can, if it becomes a high-scoring series, you know, they know they can't win that kind of a series against San Jose. So it almost, you know, in watching the series, it almost seemed to me when it got to be 2 nothing, that's when it was over. You know, if you just watch the way that St. Louis played it, it's almost like they knew that, you know, with with the kind of offense they can muster, you know, overcoming a two nothing deficit is almost a death knell for them. It's not impossible, well, but I, you, you know, they, they can, you can tell they can feel it that when they're at two nothing, they're done. You know, you've said before that uh, they need to be physical and take the body to whatever opponent they're facing in order to win. That's their style. Are, are they just not doing that with San Jose? Is San Jose just skating on past them? No, they're doing it, and San Jose isn't skating on past them. It's just San Jose is doing a good job in, you know, absorbing all that all that physicality, and then still being able to convert on their chances. So, you know, some that, that's that's one of the parts of playoff hockey when you have a, a matchup like this, where you know what one team is going to do and what the other team is going to try to do. And I think that was a one of the big questions going into this series: Can is San Jose or the San Jose players willing to accept the amount of physicality they're going to receive from St. Louis and still be able to generate offense. Are they going to be, you know, all those old hockey cliches, are they going to be willing to go to the dirty areas and take the abuse you need to, to get a chance? Are they going to be willing to, you know, take a hit to make a play? Are they going to be willing as defensemen to go get the puck quickly, knowing they're going to get hit every time they touch it. And so far for San Jose, the answer has been yes. The bad part for San Jose is if they go on and win this series, this series will physically take a ton out of them. So you do start to wonder, and people will wonder, you know, going into the final against whichever Eastern opponent they face, you know, how much has St. Louis taken out of them in this series physically, and how much would they have left in the final if they get there? But that's that's a part of that's a part of playoff hockey, and it, it has always been that way. All right. Well, let's talk about um, about the other series. Pittsburgh is ahead two one in the series against uh, against Tampa Bay. They're without Stamkos and Bishop still. Mm-hmm. So th- those are the injuries that you're talking about. And uh, and then on the Pittsburgh side, they got Phil Kessel just racking up 16 points in the last few games. Yeah, he's amazing. He's a, he's a phenom. He's a... He's a, he's a very, very rare guy because I... Uh, um, this... Uh, I don't know how to put this. This sounds like a negative thing, and actually it is, but it only makes my point of what kind of a phenomenal athlete this guy is. Phil, you know, you can't tell when he's wearing his hockey equipment, but I guarantee you, Brian, that if he doesn't have the worst body in the NHL, <laughs> it's very close to it. You know, if, if you saw, if you saw Phil Kessel on the street, if you got a thousand, a thousand guesses to try and guess what he does for a living, you would never say professional athlete. Uh, they, well, the, that, that's not true. The only professional athlete you might think he is is one of those competitive eaters. You know, this guy has a terrible body. But despite that, this guy can skate. This guy can shoot. He has, it's, you know, that, that's, to me, that's what makes him a phenom because he is, he is not physically impressive. He is not a he's guy. He's not who, on the Atkins diet and hitting the gym all, uh, at every no, chance. No. Well, he's hitting something, but it's more likely a drive-through. But that but that's the amazing thing. This guy is not in peak condition. This guy is not in elite level condition and never is. It's not just like right now. That's one of the things about him. He really never has been. And that's what makes him a phenom when you think about it. I know it sounds like a negative and technically it is, but the reality is that is how special an athlete he is, that he can be this dominant a player, yet not close to virtually everyone on the ice as far as, you know, 
elite level conditioning. And that's that's to me the amazing thing about Phil Kessel. So the uh, with with Kessel on fire, Stamkos and and Bishop still out. You know, those are the injuries that we've been talking about that just add up during the playoffs. I'm guessing Pittsburgh is is likely to win tonight. Well, things continue the way they have been. Yeah, you know, you look at you look at that last game, and uh, you know, takes takes Stamkos and Bishops out of the equation. In the last game, Tampa gave up 48 shots against at home in a playoff game. You know, it, it doesn't matter if you have Steven Stamkos back from injury, and it doesn't ha- matter if you have Ben Bishop in goal. It's if you if you cannot contain the other team, at least in some way, shape, or form, you you can't win. And and Tampa. You know, Tampa has been so good during these playoffs, but in the last two games against Pittsburgh, defensively, they have been a complete bust. Pittsburgh has just used their speed and used their tenacity to just continue to pour pucks to the Tampa net. So <clears throat> the injuries that, that uh, Tampa right now is facing are not their biggest problem. They've proven that they can win games without Stamkos and without Ben Bishop, but there's no team that's going to win a, a series if you're giving up 48 shots a game in a playoff game. It's just that's never going to happen. The uh, l- let me switch. Well, <clears throat> before we switch over to uh, to world hockey quickly, uh, let me ask mm-hmm. you about uh, Mike Hoffman. He's in mm-hmm. extension talks with the Sens. He was coached by Boucher and Junior. So, mm-hmm. is this part of the the team coming together that we were talking about before on the coaching staff? Well, uh, it's it's part of trying to get uh, you know your better players under contract. Mike Hoffman is a restricted free agent this year, and he has arbitration rights. So, if he chooses to, he can uh, pick a number and take the team to arbitration, and an arbitrator will determine what his salary is. Um, or the team can negotiate a contract. I know that because in junior hockey, uh, Boucher coached Mike Hoffman, um, and so there's some who believe it would be easier to re-sign Mike Hoffman because he would be motivated to uh, re-sign with Ottawa because Boucher is now the coach. And uh, and I don't know if that's true, to be honest with you. I, I think I think those are yeah, you they, know, huge, huge assumptions. I mean, I, I have no idea what the relationship would be between them, but if it's good, then it's more likely, and if it's sour, which it could be. Yeah. Well, it, it, it doesn't even have to be sour. It has to be, it's, it's distant. You know, that was many years ago, and both were a diff- at a different place. And yeah. I, think the, I think the other assumption that too many fans are making is that, you know, Mike Hoffman enjoyed playing for Boucher when he played for him because he had really good numbers. Well, maybe he didn't enjoy it all the time. I know that I know that when Boucher was coaching him, he was making the same demands of him in junior hockey defensively that the coaching staff last year was making of Mike Hoffman at the NHL level, and that's not a part of his game that he's super strong at. And I think it's fair to say there was some friction between Hoffman and the coaching staff, but I think this automatic assumption that Hoffman's uh, you know more likely to happily re-sign with Ottawa because Guy Boucher is here may or may not be true, but this assumption, automatic assumption that it is true, you know, I, I think you can't make those kinds of automatic assumptions. I think every fan would hope that's true, but I, I don't know that it is. Let me ask you quickly about the the World Hockey Championships because we are hitting into the uh, sem- semifinals on the yep. weekend. Uh, we're going to have Canada facing off against the U.S., the U.S. Be- uh, defeating the Czechs 2-1, and Canada defeating Sweden like they weren't there, 6 nothing. Yeah, I think uh, I think uh, you can never count your chickens before they're hatched. But uh, Canada has a, uh, a really, really, really strong chance of making it to the gold medal game. And, 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 we talk- and this goes back to what you've said before about uh, so many of the top Americans deciding not to hit this tournament. 
yeah, this is this is not a, a real, real super strong U.S. team. It's a very young team, and they got some they've got some good skill. There's no question about that. But they're a young, less experienced team, and uh, like you said, and we've talked about this before through the tournament. You know, the Americans don't have their strongest team because a lot of their veteran guys have chosen to sit this out to kind of rest up for the World Cup in the fall. So Canada, right now, you'd have to say on paper has an easier path to the gold medal game. On the other side, they're going to face either uh, Finland or the Russians, and uh, the good news for Canada is those are two very good teams, which means that you know they're probably going to take a little something out of each other, and whichever team gets to the final is going to have a harder path to get there than Canada likely will. But again, you know, it's you never know in hockey. The Americans could come up and upset Canada, but uh, I have a hard time seeing that. Um, but it, it is going to be interesting because we remember we talked about when when Canada got slapped by Finland, and we talked about the fact that you know when these two teams, if they happen to meet in the final. Uh, you know, Canada certainly will remember the the spanking they took at the hands of the Finns, but also uh, they now know exactly what to expect. They will have a game plan to deal with what they couldn't deal with in the last game. I I would anticipate that it's going to be the Finns and the Canadians, but the Russians, uh, if they don't win against Finland, they'll certainly take a lot of them. They're not going to be an easy touch. All right, Dean Brown, great talking to you. And, of course, if people want to watch that game, the Canada-U.S. game tomorrow, it uh, looks to me to be about 315 2015 Greenwich Mean Time, so I think that's about 3.15 tomorrow afternoon. Dean, great talking to you. Looking to you working the clock. Have a great weekend. <laughs> you too. I'm Brian Lilly. This is Beyond the News. Back in moments, John Budden standing by. little market chat. Insurgent. Believe it. The resistance is here. Beyond the News with Brian Lilly. News Talk 580 CFRA. Time for uh, a check-in with CFRA's markets commentator, John Budden. And your show's coming up to Sunday, 2 o'clock. Sunday, 2 p.m. All right. Yep. Make sure if you are into markets, you're playing the markets, you want to know what's happening with your money. John Budden is always someone you want to listen to. <laughs> Thank you. But uh, you're going to relate this back you're having the, uh, one of the owners of a hockey team on. We just talked with Dean Brown about the Sharks, and who do you have on? Well, Scott McNeely, who is one of the owners of the uh, San Jose Sharks, is going to be on as an interview. And uh, it it's a very amusing interview because he starts off by saying that he might be able to uh, use our prime minister on the team and may recruit him as a tough guy <laughs> after the annex in the house the other night. So he saw that. Yeah, he saw that. And uh, it and he founded Sun Microsystems, and he's a fascinating technology entrepreneur. Yeah, well, well, when a guy in Silicon Valley, like Scott McNeely, like you say, founded Sun Microsystems, uh, very big in the tech sector, but also obviously a hockey fan, or at least willing to put his money into one, when he's seeing things like the brawl in the House of Commons, <laughs> it did look like a hockey brawl is uh, the liberal benches emptied out in behind Trudeau. But <laughs> that'd be well, funny. He's trying to draft the prime minister. <laughs> that so. would be funny. So what is your talk with McNeely about other than making no, fun of No, it's not mine. It's actually our affiliate BNN. Okay. I tell you what I do is I aggregate the best interviews uh, that I can find of the week's business. See, I just assume it's you because you have so many contacts in the business world, John Budden. Well, I talk to a lot of people. You, and, t- you I, talk to people I in the I spare the listers my bias uh, for some of the program. <laughs> All right. <laughs> um, interest rates are – what's going on with interest rates? Because you were telling me just as we were coming to air 
that the Americans are much higher uh, in terms of interest rates that affect the 10-year mar- uh, mortgage market and such. Yeah, well, the 10-year Treasury is the bond that you set mortgages off in the United States, and really the 10-year here and uh, is the same. Uh, the 10-year is yielding about 1.85%. Now, if you go to Germany, you're talking one-quarter of 1% for 10 years, because interest rates in Europe are negative. So we've got this strange situation that you actually get on your U.S. dollar deposits higher interest rates than in most places in the world. Even though we don't think of the American economy as being uh, firing on all cylinders at this point. Yeah, and that's the Federal Reserve Board, and the Federal Reserve Board are threatening higher interest rates. But they sort of talk out of both sides of their mouths because – They'll threaten, and then when they get frightened about China or Europe and the weakness in those economies, they'll back off. And uh, my guess is that we're not going to see any sort of meaningful hike in interest rates. And let's face it, the consumer and the the house homeowner just – could not stand seeing interest rates go up at this stage. It, it yeah, it would be a shock to everyone's pocketbook. You, even if you can afford it, you get used to low interest rates, having that extra money to spend, and then suddenly, if it if it jumped, we would all be in trouble. Well, meanwhile, we're all dealing with inflation that the governments tell us is non-existent. But uh, you went out to feed the meter, mm-hmm. and I remember when I came back from Boston. Uh, Feeding a meter used to be something like fifty cents an hour. Now it's about three dollars. Three dollars an hour. Yeah, and and that tells me there's a bit of inflation in the system, and and so we have this odd situation where you have technology that has uh, uh, brought less inflation in certain areas, but food and uh, fuels going up in price. Again. Food, fuel, taxes—the things yeah. we can't avoid. It's go- They're generally going up. And then health care, we, we don't feel it as much in Canada because of the national health care system. But uh, the U.S., your insurance rates on health care have tripled in the past five, seven years. Unreal. All right, John Budden will be back on Sunday, 2 o'clock. Thanks for the time now, my friend. Yeah, I look forward to uh, We'll talk again next week. We'll talk again next week. And do make sure you check out John's show, 2 p.m. Sunday. I'm Brian Lilly. It's Beyond the News. Uh Enter at CFRA.com if you want a chance to win a $50 gift card courtesy of St. Hubert. You order your next meal online at SaintHubert.com or check out the website for great specials. Back after this. A rebel? You know it. Beyond the News with Brian Lilly. News Talk 580 CFRA. Time for the Intelligence Files with David Harris. Let's bring in Mr. Secret Agent Man. Um, (laughs) Horrible for families, friends Mm. of those that had loved ones on the Egypt air crash. Canadian woman originally from Saskatoon on the flight. They're finding debris and human remains in the area where they were searching. Yes, that's right. That's right. And this is interesting. Uh, um, Another reason for the fact that 
the focus seems very much to have been on terrorism from the word go. We've seen a propensity among officialdom in a number of especially Western countries to play down to almost extremes that kind of possibility. But uh, well, I understand that Egypt's president alluded to terrorism and absolutely. the investigator said we, want, we don't want to hear anything about it. But when you're talking about a plane that goes down in water, and instead of finding the whole plane, you're finding debris and human remains, to me that says the plane was taken out before it hit the water. It didn't crash and fall into the water. Something happened. Well, there was an Egyptian official, too, who actually more or less said, I don't really want to hear much more about the possibility of accidents and so on, he said the likelihood was, in his view, a terrorism. There are a, a number of possibilities, it must be said, and of course any competent investigation will go through the differential diagnosis to look at all of those. You know, you can have uh, a sudden rapid decompression for a variety of reasons, not involving terrorism or any detonation. Um, who knows what could have happened? Uh, there are obvious questions in this day and age when you'd assume security, especially coming out of Paris, would be prodigious to uh, imagine that this should have been one of the safer flights. So uh, if, and I stress if, this had been a terrorist issue, could it have involved penetration of the cockpit? Could it have involved a uh, flight crew in some ways? And might there have been something placed on the aircraft, perhaps through so baggage? Let's go back to the, the Russian air, because when I, when I first heard about an Egypt air crash and people started circulating, okay, is it terrorism? Of course, when a plane goes down in this day and age, that's one of the first things we wonder. Mm -hmm. The Russian jet, they claimed it was, uh, at first we all thought man pads, that somebody had a uh, shoulder-launched shoulder uh, rocket, and maybe that had taken it out, but then... There, there were claims, no, it was a, a small explosive device placed in uh, towards the rear of the plane in the, in the structure mm -hmm. that that had taken it out. I, I look at where this one went down, and it's 10 miles inside Egyptian airspace, but still well into the water. So the chance of it being something fired at the plane, it's just going to be flying too high at that point. Well outside of Alexandria, it would not have been, uh, you know, having a descent towards Cairo yet. Not a chance. Yeah, that's right. And, of course, uh, when you're at lower altitudes, that's when you, such as uh, on final approach and on takeoff, that's when you're uniquely vulnerable to a possible shoulder-launched missile. And these are becoming real issues, as we've seen, when we know that there's been a, a real spread of such missiles and launchers and so on, particularly in the wake of the collapse of the Libyan government or what passed for a Libyan government. So these are, yes, all concerning issues, and uh, the it's not impossible that you could have had uh, simply a technical failure. We have seen those failures uh, not that long ago and uh, aircrew incapable of fighting back. But these days and in this realm, especially if you look at the connection to Egypt, and you take into account the fact, at least as I understand it, that before getting to Paris, the aircraft had been in Tunis and in Cairo. So you're always concerned that somebody yeah, could put something look, David, aboard. Hot Paris, it was at Charles de Gaulle. Paris has come under attack recently. Brussels has come under attack. I just reading off of the Telegraph, they've got a list of what we know so far, and they're just bullet points. Um, Ahmed Adel, vice president of Egypt Air, told CNN there was no distress signal sent from the plane mm -hmm. prior to it being lost. James Comey, the FBI director, says the U.S. has no evidence the plane was intentionally brought down and that no terror group had claimed responsibility. French President Francois Hollande said... No hypothesis is ruled out or favored. 
But Egypt's aviation minister is saying the chance of it being a terrorist attack is stronger than the theory it was the result of uh, technical failure. Uh, yeah, and, and of course, you'd have to look into this. One might argue that the Egyptian government uh, might have an interest in playing down any kind of intrinsic vulnerability that would suggest uh, failures in uh, mechanical upkeep uh, in an airline connected to uh, in one way or another Egypt. But the, yeah, the simple fact is that uh, this uh, looking at the terror angle has got to be a responsible priority issue, if only because if there were techniques or methodologies, as they'd call them, that might have been used to put explosives on board, for example, you want to know about that. You want to know about it if it could have been connected to de Gaulle Airport in France or another airport. You want to know if there is some infiltration that could have explained this. And we know that, of course, de Gaulle Airport itself has had to suspend dozens of uh, passes to people said to have had connections to radical Islam among the workers at the airport. This should be no news, of course, when it comes to what you and I have discussed constantly over a number of years, the issue of infiltration and penetration of infrastructure institutions and organizations and agencies not excluding government and police ones. Yeah, and in we've seen that here where people of questionable background on various files have had access. Mm-hmm. I've had uh, his name's escaping me now. Uh, Kwaja, Moment Kwaja, first Canadian convicted under the anti-terrorism legislation that Kretchen passed. He was working at Foreign Affairs when he was arrested. Later convicted. Uh, one of the um, uh, was a young man arrested recently. He had previously been. Now this was some time ago. A cleaner at Toronto International at Pearson Airport. Uh, had had a pass, had mm-hmm. access. He didn't last long because apparently he was a very bad worker and got fired. And there are related, more subtle issues too, as you know. Many police forces, including the Ottawa police, have been involved in outreach activity that, according to some, in some ways, has favored individuals on occasion who may, it's fair to say, have been connected to radical tendencies. And to the extent that such tendencies might be used to justify more formidable inclinations, including violence, that becomes an issue because, of course, legitimacy is conferred in general on people who appear, rightly or wrongly, to have the okay and approval of police forces. There uh, may be a debate about, indeed, a coming Crime Prevention Ottawa uh, presentation in that kind of regard, but we'll have to see. Okay, let's. uh, there is still the possibility that was some kind of mechanical failure. I just want to read off how heavily this plane was worked and used. Not the crew, Mm -hmm. but the actual plane. So Wednesday morning at 1.30 Greenwich Mean Time, this is an Airbus A320 we're talking about, and planes can just keep going and going and going, but they do need maintenance. Mm -hmm. They do need refueling, all of that, as they stop. 1.30 Greenwich Mean Time, this Airbus A320 owned by Egypt Air leaves Asmara Eritrea for Cairo. 6.21, 6.21, Greenwich Mean Time, takes off from Cairo for Tunis, lands at 7.21, then it heads back to Cairo. Uh, let's see, when does it leave Cairo? I'm looking for number four. 3.17 p.m. that day, it flies from Cairo to Paris, lands at 7.55, does a one-hour turnaround, not unusual, mm-hmm. uh, one-hour turnaround and leaves Cairo at 9 p.m., where it was due to land, uh, left for Cairo, it was due to land at 3.05 a.m., and contact was lost at 12.45 a.m., I guess, Thursday morning, Greenwich Mean Time. So mm-hmm. we heard about it Wednesday night. That's right. 
So that's exactly right. And you know, through all of that, one among a great number of questions that would be asked is who had access to the aircraft when it was on the ground. Uh, again, we could talk about baggage issues. This internationally has been known as a vulnerability that we've seen a number of years ago. In fact, a Canadian Senate committee focused on precisely that issue: who is bringing on board and therefore has access to aircraft for the purposes of baggage, for food. loading of food, for cleaning. When you see those good folk going on board as you're leaving to clean up things, what is the possibility? And uh, this is not a purely speculative item. It's been gone over in some detail by any number of specialists. What's the possibility that you could insert some sort of explosive onto or the components of an explosive into a seat and that you could coordinate that with somebody who might later be expected to have that seat. So the traveler could get by uh, in any number of ways through all of the past and security, and uh, somebody else who may, for all you know, in theory, work at the, uh, at the airport uh, might have, over a period of weeks or months, brought on components for an explosive or device that might ignite. Now you're sounding like that Johnny Cash song, uh, built at one part at a time. <laughs> well, there you go. All right. I, I'm Brian Lilly. This is Beyond the News, talking with David Harris, Director of uh, Intelligence at Strategic Insignia Strategic Research. We'll be back with more in <laughs> moments, and I'll learn to talk. <laughs> With Brian Lilly. Join the resistance on Facebook and Twitter at CFRA Ottawa. You know, because of the Steve Martin version of these Pink Panther movies, when I hear this now, I just think of. And And if you've seen the Steve Martin version of the Pink Panther, which are hilarious, then you know what I'm talking about. And Maybe I'll watch that again on the weekend. David Harris joins me once again. Uh, David, let me ask you about this uh, headline. Kim Philby. Kim Philby is still spilling secrets. He died 28 years ago. Of course, the infamous double agent for both uh, MI6 and the Soviets. You know, he's he's an Oxford boy, wasn't he? Uh, Cambridge, actually. Cambridge, okay. Uh, And that explains it, doesn't it? (laughs) (laughs) So how is he spilling secrets 28 years later? I mean, the Russians have opened up their vaults years ago. We found out about all kinds of things from the Russians opening up their vaults. What's happening now? Well, we sometimes uh, offer a little warning to people who... uh, may think about collaborating in the wrong ways with uh, foreign intelligence services. And the warning goes something like this. One day, the regime for which you may be working may no longer exist. It might collapse. There might be a leak of their secrets, so we may get to understand what you've been up to. So let's not collaborate with the wrong people. Mm -hmm. Well, what happened in the Philby case was, we all remember that, of course, he'd developed through the Second World War his position in the British Secret Intelligence Service, MI6, And it was pretty darned accomplished. But the Secret Intelligence Service hadn't understood that he had been secretly working before that for the Soviet Union. Of course, the Stalinist enemy of the Western world, including his own British nation. Well, things went on. And uh, it looked as though uh, Philby ultimately would be bidding fair to become head of the whole of MI6. 
Uh, but in the end, of course, he absconded as it looked like things were closing in on him. And uh, he wound up going to the East Block. He defected. Now, it appears unknown to pretty well everyone that while in the East Block, he made any number of presentations, one now imagines, but a specific presentation to the intelligence officers of the Stasi, the East German communist country, which, of course, was part of the uh, Soviet Empire. And uh, there he was kind of lording it over the uh, British, the people who'd fed him and taken care of him so well, remembering that he was part of the absolute elite of uh, Britain originally. So there he was with his plummy accent, speaking in har-har terms at times uh, to these uh, communist intelligence officers, uh, a particular brigade known for their ruthlessness under the notorious Marcus Wolf. And uh, he was explaining his early history and all the rest and how he... uh, was able to make friends, for example, with the archivist of MI6 and suggested that the archivist might be somebody he'd want to get to know as an intelligence officer trying to penetrate that service. And uh, taking the archivist out, I guess, for drinks and the rest, he got access to all kinds of files. And as he described it, every night he'd roll home with a briefcase full of some of the most secret and sensitive information (laughs) of MI6 and convey that that evening to his Soviet handler. So you can almost imagine the unfolding catastrophes involved in all of this. Now, nominally during the Second World War, of course, and more than nominally, the Soviets were the allies of Canada, the United States, Britain, and so on. But, of course, the Soviets were still operating against us all, and so this information would have been invaluable. And ultimately, it is believed that Philby cost hundreds of lives through the secrets that he spilt, especially some of the secrets involving attempts by Britain and uh, allies to penetrate the East Bloc. So it uh, was quite a dramatic thing. He really did, though, credit his upper-class upbringing for some of his success, saying that many of those connected to the elites who were uh, running the MI6 show and British government in general wouldn't have laid a hand on him. And he specifically... Well, it's why I don't trust people that sound like you. <laughs> it's why it was really interesting, because he actually said, and this really kind of takes you back to some stories about terrorists in our hands these days, uh, he said, look, you know, when I was under interrogation, he said, I knew that they wouldn't lay a hand on me. Unlike, of course, the tortures and so on that the Soviets merrily worked upon some of their own prisoners. And so he was right, and so he lived a reasonably long life in the USSR. Back in the USSR. We'll be back with David next week. Actually, no, I'll be in Vancouver. I don't know if we'll chat, but uh, we'll see. Okay. I'll be in Vancouver for the Conservative Convention. David? Speak to you again soon. Don't go away. The hillbilly professor's dropping by John Robson on uh, what happened with Trudeau, but also Queen Victoria. That's next. This is Beyond the News. He's hated in official Ottawa, which is okay in our books. Beyond the News with Brian Lilly on News Talk 580 CFRA. I'm calling this the theme song for Justin Trudeau. Uh, John Robson joins me now, of course, uh, visiting professor at University of Ottawa. I call him the hillbilly professor because did did we give you that nickname or did you give it to yourself? I think we probably devised it together because it uh, 
it, it, it does capture what I hope is a combination of actually knowing what I'm talking about while talking about it in plain language. All right. It's why I love the term. So, John, you heard that, the man who would be Kane, and I say that could be uh, Justin Trudeau's theme song. But the boys of the control room tell me, no, it's actually this. <laughs> All right. After the events this week in Parliament, John, which one do you think is the uh, the more appropriate song for Justin Trudeau? Well, yeah, we we'll, we'll do a medley, right? One, of those, <laughs> one subtly morphs into the other. Uh, I, I regard what happened in Parliament as an extremely serious incident, and I do so because people think of this as one MP jostling another. Or I think Gordon Brown complained about the Liberal Party's disrespect for Parliament, but it's much more fundamental than that. Justin Trudeau. is an MP, but he is not primarily a legislator. He is the prime minister, and the prime minister is the head of the executive branch. And this is very important. People go around talking about the Trudeau government as though he owned the whole thing lock, stock, and barrel, and he seems to think so too. But that's not how it works. And this is a technical illustration, but it's an important one. If parliament were to be dissolved for some reason, there would be no MPs. Between the dissolution of one parliament and the election of the next one, there are no MPs, but he would still be prime minister. He would still have all the powers that come with being the functional head of the executive branch. So when he gets fed up with parliament because it is not passing his bill fast enough, he is not in the position of one MP being annoyed with his colleagues. He's in the position of Henry VIII grabbing an MP by his hair and saying, will you pass my bill or have your head off by tomorrow? I mean, obviously he's not threatening to kill anybody. No. this is an attack, a physical attack by a member, by the head of the executive branch on MPs who are not jumping high enough when he says fraud. And, and a very good point. Uh, but I, I, I have been making the point that in the House, he is one MP among many because some people, for whatever reason, they were talking about, well, you know, if your boss did this or he's the boss, he is not the boss of Gordon Brown. He is not the boss of uh, Ruth Ellen Brasseau. In the House, he has one vote like they do, and yeah, it is not his job to put anyone in their seat. But, I mean, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to come back at this. He's not just another MP. If another MP from another party had laid hands on Gordon Brown, wrong as it would be, or had elbowed with Ellen Brasseau, it wouldn't be nearly as serious. The boss in the House of Commons is the Speaker. Exactly. The Speaker is chosen by the MPs. He runs the place. He decides what happens and when. And here's where I'm going to bring up another story, which has, was a more dangerous episode by far, but relevant. 1642, King Charles I, fed up with five MPs who keep defying his policy, bursts into the Commons with a band of men with drawn swords. He looks around. The, the guys he's looking for are gone. He has the speaker physically removed from his chair. He sits in it himself. He gazes around, and then he says to the speaker, where are they? And the speaker, who was regarded as a timid and rather useless character, managed to sink to the occasion magnificently because he fell to his knees and replied, if it please your majesty, I have neither eyes to see nor tongue to speak in this place except as the house directs me whose servant I am. That's who's in charge, and it's, that's why since 1642, no British monarch has entered the House of Commons in Britain or in Canada while it, the, it's sitting. And when the gentleman usher of the Black Rod comes, because the, the MPs are being asked to attend the throne speech, the door is slammed in his face. And Trudeau was not there as an MP. 
Trudeau was there as head of the executive branch, manhandling MPs because they would not do his bidding. It, and it, that it, is an assault upon our liberty and our right to elect MPs who decide what bills get passed and when. I'm going to throw out some of the things that I've um, had thrown at me, because you and I are pretty much on the same page on this. It, it is serious. This is not a, a one-day story. This is not a, well, he apologized, so everything's fine. People have to realize how serious this is. And I've had uh, several callers say, well, I mean, those MPs weren't working. They weren't doing their jobs. They were being idle and standing around chit-chatting. He was just trying to make them work. Exactly. This is this Trudeau government phrase again. They are his subservient employees, even though they're in another party. He is to tell them what to do. No. You know who puts MPs in their place? We do. They are the one branch of government that we elect, unlike the executive and the judiciary. And we send them there to protect us from the presumption of our betters. And that is what Justin Trudeau was exhibiting, the presumption of our betters, the feeling that the right of MPs to control, they have to control procedure in order to control substance. The House of Commons has been electing its own speaker since at least 1376. And the speaker decides when the House sits and when it rises. The speaker determines the result of votes. And there's crit- why do we call him the speaker, the one person who never talks? Because the Speaker speaks for the Commons in dealing with the other branches, in dealing with the House of Lords, in dealing with the Executive, in dealing with the Judiciary. If they try to interfere with House procedure, they speak with one voice, and it is a voice they choose. Okay, and and, 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 and you, you, are, you, are, you, you are now starting to touch on the larger issue, which is that why were the MPs idling? It was a form of protest. Now, some of them are saying, oh, no, we weren't trying to delay. Yes, they were trying to delay, and they were trying to delay on purpose because this government under uh, Justin Trudeau, the administration, I know that's the term you prefer, but Justin Trudeau and the liberals used to rail against uh, closure. Now, all governments have used closure in the past. It is There's nothing wrong with using closure and shutting off debate on a particular bill, but they used to rail against it when... Stephen Harper and the Conservatives were on the government side. Now that they're in power, they are using it faster and more often than the Conservatives did. And the vote on Wednesday was a vote on shutting down debate on C-14. And that he, he was angry that they weren't moving fast enough to shut down debate. They were trying to protest, and it was happening at the same time as they were trying to take the power of when the House would sit, when it would rise, away from the Commons itself. Yes, because and they also had a motion, which has now been withdrawn, that ministers could, without vote, ha- adjourn the House. And that, again, is the invasion of the executive branch. And this is, this is an ominous thing. I, I know you think I'm nitpicking about ministry or administration. My editor thinks so, too, at the National Post. But it really matters, because until you understand that the executive has invaded the legislature, why cabinets are so big now? What are we doing with all these parliamentary secretaries? We're giving them perks. We're giving them money, tens of thousands of dollars a year, to be creatures of the executive inside the parliament and not men and women of parliament. And then they don't complain when the administration does something wrong. Well, why not? Because they're part of it, and doing that would risk their position and their extra bonus. Yeah, and they want to rise higher in the executive branch. That's the only real reason they're there. And I remember I did this diagram when we were both with Sun News Network. Before the uh, last Ontario election, when the the Wynn administration held a minority in the House, 
all but two of its members had some kind of extra executive-related post. The largest single party in the legislature was the executive party, not the liberal party. And when it comes to closure, it's not a matter of the government or the executive deciding to end debate. It's a matter of a majority of MPs feeling that they have heard all that it is useful for them to hear, that the, uh, those who oppose a measure have had a chance to speak, and they, as the largest group in the House, now wish the House to finish with this business and proceed to something else. That comes from inside the legislature. It does not come from the executive. And, but the other thing to bear in mind here, I'm not, gonna, I'm not sympathetic to Justin Trudeau here. That was a ridiculous outburst. But remember, he was trying to get this bill passed because although he would like to be king, there's somebody else with their eye on the throne, and that is the court. Because he was trying to pass a bill because the Supreme Court had told him to do it and do it now. Remember the... the um, yeah, there's a, a deadline of uh, Ju- June 6th. June 6th or June 7th? It would have been June 6th because the court struck down the existing law back in two- February 2015, gave them a year. Because it was an, an election, the ministry went to the court and said, we need a six-month extension to get because the new parliament's getting itself organized. And the court said, petty parliaments shall not detain us. You have four months. Hop, hop, hop. And so the prime minister needed to do this in order to satisfy his real masters, namely Beverly McLaughlin and her colleagues. And it's, it, notice that the bill hasn't even been passed yet, and yet the Alberta Court of Appeal has already struck it down. The courts are simply writing legislation, and they're not even pretending they're not. Remember um, Justice Claire Leroux Dubay in 2004 saying, courts are taking the lead in changing society's attitudes to same-sex partnerships. Since when are they social engineers? And then the Chief Justice said that courts offer a venue for the reasoned and dispassionate discussion of our most pressing social issues. No, that's not social their job. Issue. That is not their job. All right. Well, John, we've got to take a break because I want to leave some time for our discussion of Queen Victoria. Of course, it's the Victoria Day weekend. A lot of people just dismissing it as the May 2-4. I bet you've got some thoughts on why we should honor Queen Victoria. Water people lasting good. All right. John Robson, Hillbilly Professor, back in moments. I'm Brian Lilly. This is Beyond the News. You're listening to the leader of the unofficial opposition, the rebel himself. Beyond the News with Brian Lilly on News Talk 580 CFRA. Why do they call him Mr. Speaker? He's the only guy that never says anything. He should be called Mr. Listener. A little bit of a comedy routine, riffing off what John was saying earlier about the speaker. That, of course, if you don't recognize the voice, Danny Boy, one of the best comedians out there today. John, welcome back. Thank you. You're, uh, Queen Victoria gets short shrift, I think. She's got a whole long weekend name for her, and we just call it the May 2-4, head off to the cottage and drink lots of beer. And... I thought I wanted, I decided I wanted to talk to you about this after we mentioned it last week. The Minister of Democratic Institutions dismissing our voting system as being antiquated because it came from the 19th century. The Victorian area gets a bad rap, and I think the Queen does too, but we owe her a lot, don't we? Well, I think that we do, and our voting system does not come from the 19th century. That's a preposterous thing for her to have said, let me just add. We have been electing MPs essentially by simple majority vote since Simone de Montfort's model parliament of 1265, the first one to which commoners were invited. Uh, The 19th century system was somewhat different, and it underwent a series of reforms under Victoria intended to broaden the franchise. 
that had the regrettable side effect of putting professional politicians in charge of the nomination process and of mass campaigns and dramatically reducing the independence of the House. But Victoria presided, among other things, over the high noon of parliamentary democracy, in which governments routinely, or administrations, routinely resigned because they lost votes in the House without always having a fresh election, because people didn't then confuse the ministry with the parliament. They figured the parliament reflected the mood of the public, and if one ministry did not command the confidence of the House, it didn't mean public opinion to change. It meant somebody else should put together a cabinet and a program and attempt in their turn to win the support of the people that we had elected. But there's, let me, there's more to it. Here's a story about Queen Victoria. In 1842, she was riding in her carriage along the mall when some lunatic aimed a gun at her, and it didn't fire. You know what she did? The next day, she drove the same route, hoping that he would try again and they could catch him. That is surely a remarkable woman. And by the way, the doofus did, and they nailed him. Um, she set a standard of behavior, you know, sort of what would the queen say? She was actively interested in politics. She spoke to uh, prime ministers and cabinet members. She gave them advice, frequently good advice, but in the end, always with the understanding that the ministry must defer to the House. And uh, she, at times she was very unpopular, as a matter of fact, but Gradually, it was her character, the dignity of her comportment, and the way in which she seemed to incarnate a time of increased civility in Britain. We tend to forget that under the regency of the early, very early 19th century, morals were in decay in Britain. Alcohol consumption was through the roof, all kinds of trouble. The Victorian era is one in which people pulled themselves together, and they didn't think Victoria had done it to them or even for them, that she rather exemplified what they had done for themselves. In an era when government took about 10% of GDP, freedom of speech, freedom of association were not infringed. There weren't hate speech laws. And I have to point out, there were no restrictions on gun ownership. None. You read the Sherlock Holmes stories. Holmes says, Watson, do you have your revolver? Watson picks up his revolver. He doesn't fill it a form. There was actually a, uh, a bill was put before the Commons late in Victoria's reign in the 1890s uh, to bring in some control of handguns, and the Commons dismissed it as grandmotherly. They <laughs> absolutely brushed it aside. I, 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 I understand that um, uh, in, in the old London bobbies, not carrying guns, they were, if something happened and they needed a pistol, it was expected that they would stop a gentleman on the street and ask to borrow his for the duration of their duties. And people would hand them over. Oh, yes, there you go. Of course I have my revolver on me. Yeah, or, or, or a system, because people in those days, uh, we think of it as an American thing. We have been deceived in this matter. The British had, from painful experience with governments, including the Stuarts, did not trust the state to have weapons, basically at all. There's a Royal Navy, eventually there's a Royal Air Force. There's no Royal Army. It was dependent upon the territorial militia, and the guns were in the houses of citizens. You know, as Orwell himself said, the rifle in the working man's hut is a symbol of democracy. And in Victoria's day, the idea that the government might so distrust the citizens as to attempt to take their weapons away while arming its own people. They, they, it's not just the people who didn't want to give up their guns. They didn't want the police to have guns. They didn't want the state to be in the position of judge, jury, and executioner in the course of what was believed to be a crime being committed. And they also felt that they had people who were not going to riot and commit mass murder if 
they were not prevented from doing so by rows of riot police in masks and body armor. Well, it's and, a very and, different society. Now we're afraid to let the common people own guns, and as far as uh, you know, morals go, uh, Evan Solomon later will be speaking to uh, Lenore Skenazy, the world's worst mother because she let her nine-year-old ride the subway, and there's actually a day this weekend. It's um, leave your kid at the park day. Let kids go play on their own. We think the Victorians were uptight, John? Yeah, it's extraordinary. We They would be astounded by how uh, paranoid and frightful and distrustful of one another we were. And yet, in a, in a weird way, they'd be amazed at how much we trust the government. They may have revered Queen Victoria, but they would never have thought of giving her one-tenth of the powers that we entrust to provincial premiers, to prime ministers, and to courts. All right, John. Second thought today. We'll leave it there. You go enjoy Victoria weekend. Celebrate the Queen. Thanks for joining me. Thank you and all the listeners. All right. I'm Brian Lilly. This has been Beyond the News. Back with you on Tuesday. Thanks for listening. Remember, I'm on your side.